What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Forever. On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, boil, boil, toil, and oh no, we're in trouble because we've got two great movies about witchcraft going head to head, and only one can enter the canon representing the art house. It's Robert Eggers' 2015 feature film debut for A24, The Witch, Boo. starring Anya Taylor Joy in her first film on screen film performance. Is that true? I believe so. God, this podcast is good. And and representing the mainstream, it's, it's the movie that made the jocks think twice about messing with the goths. I'm talking about 1996. <laughs> I guess. This is The Craft, starring Feruza Balk. Joe, are you ready? Hell yeah, Brett. Then Brian, roll that theme song. Whoa. <laughs> 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 Brian going for a jump scare. Yeah, that was, that a was classic good. jump scare. <laughs> you and I watch two movies together. together. Well, not quite together because we watch them apart. You at your house and me at mine. Whoa. Every week we watch the same two movies. Light as a feather and stiff as a board. That's from the craft. But how do we choose these two movies? Well, one is a brilliant, beautiful work of cinematic art, the height of the medium, and the other one is mainstream. I'm talking popcorn, baby. I'm them back to back and we have to say which one we like better and we have to be honest welcome welcome to weekend at bergman's we're gonna watch an art house movie in a mainstream movie and you can start fending it out now brian and we're gonna tell you which one we like better and the one that we like better is gonna go in what we call that was a hard fade well, you Brian with the heart on the fader. First of all, he starts it halfway through the song. Then I love the I love the fuck it move of like, well, I'll go close to the beginning. <laughs> Who gives a fucking shit? I'll go in it's the just vicinity fucking of the beginning. I agree. The movie we like better is going to go in the canon, right? And the movie that we did not like as much is going to go in the trash canon, and we're never allowed to watch it again for the rest of our lives. Halloween will never be the same after this year. No, because we won't be able to first we said goodbye to uh, Predator. Right. Then we said goodbye to that that gem of '90s cinema, The Faculty. Uh, I think I was. I, I in retrospect, I was. There was a lot of people online being like, "What the fuck was he talking about with The Faculty? That movie sucks." <laughs> but you know what? I I don't always listen back, but yeah. for, I did listen back to this episode, just checking out how Brett and I are doing. Yeah. And Brett, that part where you're talking about The Faculty once again, when I was listening in my car, I was also like. Man, you're you sold it though. 
You sold thank it you. like thank it was an, like like an industrial size printer. Yeah, but I, I felt like uh, I felt like a, a mob lawyer or something. I felt like I had been like paid you, you off your side. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> that I was just playing devil's advocate. Somebody had paid me off to make like they're like, look, we he's the best in town. He'll he'll give us the best possible argument mm-hmm. in favor of the faculty. Yeah. It still might not sway the jury, Mm-mm. but you're going to go down swinging with this right, guy. Right, 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 right. Well, you, you, you did a great job. Thank and you. I wonder what it's going to be this week, Brett, because we have two bangers, in my opinion. This is, this is, this might be, besides Alien, Alien Predator was, was, was shockingly it was very difficult. Hard. It was shockingly not difficult. Uh, this, though, I think is straight up pound for pound the tightest match we've had yet. Yeah. Uh, in, sp- in in October, in yeah, sp- spooky month. Um, and so I would agree. With I that. wish both competitors the best. I wish the best uh, to the the witch. Good luck, witch. The witch. Uh, I it's spelled Vavich, but it's pronounced the witch. And I uh, no wish doubt about I wish that. the best to the craft. Um. And uh, before the chat is going off right now, I'm going to mention this on the show right now, because last episode, uh, I realized, Joe, you realized this, too. It sounded like I was speaking to ghosts. Right. Because um, I was just you sort just of like, I was quoting people from the chat. Dan, without... Dan thinks so, too. I'm like, OK, Dan thinks so, too. And sometimes I wouldn't even say Dan. I would just sort of quote somebody from the chat and it was like a complete non sequitur. So I'm going to get better at saying for, for the, for the podcast listeners, cause we, we still, this is still a podcast. We want the podcast listeners to have the same, you know, a good experience as well. Uh, and I know that you are, but I'm going to try harder to be like, this is from the chat and this is who said it. Uh, just so you know, just so you can keep track of what's going on. So the chat's, the chat's blowing up right now. People are putting, um, uh, emojis of popcorn, uh, I think that's an honor. Let's of the go. Theme song. I appreciate you guys. I know this is valuable time. We're about to take up a whole entire slot. You could be watching a freaking horror picture this Halloween season, but you're hanging out with us and we're going to do you right by talking horror movies. We're that's talking right. crap. We're talking that's witch. Right. And Brett's going to be monitoring the heck out of that chat. Thank you, Brett. And as much as we love our podcasters, if you're not watching on Forever Dog Plus, you are missing. You're missing. You're missing the, the real missing the show. You're, you're missing, missing the real really, show. You're missing the real show. <laughs> you could be watching. Think about it right now. You're cutting up a zucchini. You're going to Make a little zucchini parmigiano for you and your gorgeous family, perhaps. But guess what? You're listening only in your ears, and you can't throw it on up on YouTube, up on your TV, right, Brett? That's right. So, Joe, Thank what you. are you? What are you dressed as this week? Well, I'm one of the witches from the craft. Okay. What are you dressed as? Wait, let's stay with you for a second. Okay. So you, so '90s goth masterpiece, The Craft, um, redefined you know what a witch could look like on camera. Did it? Uh, and of you, all the things, you that's see, one of the things. I believe so because it, that's how influential it's been. You think like, oh no, that's a common the black, the goth, and this and that. I believe uh, the craft. The craft was was very uh, revolutionary in its style, its aesthetic. Um, uh, expanding witchcraft. We'll get into it, but expanding witchcraft into the Wiccan realm, away from sort of like you know, uh, um, uh, away from what you're doing, which is a, a classic sort of witch on a broomstick look. Well, um, I did like the part of the craft when they all went. <laughs> you look like a teacher. You're like a middle school science teacher that wants to get into the spirit of the season, but doesn't want to doesn't want to spook the kids too much. That's right. Wants to wants to take it easy. Well, on you're them. you're gonna terrify our audience straight to a different podcast well i am uh dressed as i was originally going uh, i was going to try to find a put together a black philip costume my favorite character in the witch black philip Mm -hmm. um and uh who is uh the essentially the devil incarnate uh who also takes the form of a goat on this family's farm um and acts as a as a sort of intermediary between the world of uh of the uh uh, colonists and the world of the of the witches in the in the woods and so you guys want to you 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 want to become you become a witch 
Mm-hmm. No, you don't come. And then if you don't become a witch, then the witches are going to come get you. So you can tell me mm-hmm. which you can become a witch or the witches come get you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of Black Philip. He's the devil. He's just sort of a negotiator. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, he's a goat. He's so a what goat. are you dressed as? <clears throat> so I uh, could not find a a, a a black goat outfit, and so I want to be true to the canon. So I've uh, I'm dressed as a uh, uh, auxiliary character from the Witch Extended Cinematic Universe uh, mm-hmm. called Randy. Uh, and then Randy uh, is alter ego when he turns into an evil uh, devil goat is Wild Randy. So this is Randy, and then this is Wild Randy. So that's. <clears throat> so when Randy gets wild, he does this. He goes into this mode. Okay, and how much is it a month? The oh Forever Dog Plus, yeah. Or this, I did put this mask on layaway, so there is. So the question could apply. Are you apply fucking to, serious? Yeah. I'm how not, much of the mask cost? I'm gonna pay it off in six months. Are you fucking kidding? Six six low payments. Brett, you're a moron. How much of the fucking six mask low costs? payments? Brett, how much did the mask oh, cost? Buy first, ask questions later. That's the wild Randy. How way. much did the mask cost? Wild Randy. Oh my god! Look. Wild Did you Randy, pay with the Forever Dog credit card? Wild Randy sees a bank statement. You paid with the Forever Dog trash. card? Wild Randy sees a... Sees Are you a, kidding? He sees a last notice, final notice. Wild, Wild Randy laughs in the face you of final notice. You bought... Notices. Okay, so now you got to get Forever Dog Plus to see what a fucking moron Brett looks like. He bought... You bought this ma- this goat mask on layaway? Thank you. Toxic Femme Film says Brett is clearly living deliciously, to quote uh, yeah. Black Phillip from the from the Witch. Yeah, I like that line. I am living deliciously. Yeah, on, on got, all of I'm, our collective dime. I'm living all up and down Hollywood Boulevard. Well, how I much am, did the mask cost? You look good in the right light. Now. How much did it cost? Wild Randy is here. Hey, and he ain't I, going be nowhere. honest. That's what the podcast is about. I bet the chat's like, how much? How much? You know what? Everyone's always worried about money these days. It's one hundred and twenty dollars. You know what doesn't exist? It was was it more than one hundred and twenty dollars? You know what? It does doesn't exist anymore. Can you return is, it? Is debtor's prison? They can't take you to jail for being in debt, baby. Can you return it? You could just sit on your ass. I don't think he's fucking joking. Look, I'm I don't. Gonna, I'm I, gonna go back I've known to, Brett a long time. He's <clears throat> uh, he buys dumb shit. I can't. I don't feel like I'm. I don't feel like you can hear me through the mask. So I'm gonna go back to Randy real quick. God damn it. He, that if that ma- that mask cost two hundred dollars, and if you bought it with the Fire Dog card, you could just fucking buy it. Why'd you put? A, is there like interest on layaway? I have no, you know. Live deliciously, everybody. Live deliciously. I mean, I guess. Don't worry about tomorrow. I hope you're all fucking cracking up, pissing your pants. Brian back there has he fucking fallen asleep. Oh wait. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> and by there falling asleep, is. I mean saving the show with a hilarious meme. Check it out on Forever Dog Plus. Honestly, Brian, just that that one meme Jesus. is going to rocket us up the charts. That's fucking good. I We're like up that. Here rambling our asses off. Yeah, and you're Brian up here, hits us I with a I, classic here's what's, meme. Here's what's so fucking funny. I don't think Brett's kidding about any of that. That that rings one thousand percent true. All right, now listen, fucker. Here's what I got for you. A little segment I like to call Trick or Treat. We got a bumper or anything, or a song for it? No. Here on Trick or Treat, <sighs> this Joe, is the Joe, game. Joe just made this up. Brett, you close your eyes. I'm not going to hurt you or hit you or anything, I swear. Okay. That's my that's my only promise, though. I'm not going like, right. to touch you Eyes closed. Anyway. And you yeah. want Randy for this, or you want Wild Randy? No, I want a... Uh, uh, I want... I, I want Wild Randy for this. All right, well, I want Wild... Yeah, go ahead. Toss right. up the meme. Wild press Randy. the button. Wild Randy. All right. Folks, are you fuck? If you're on your guys, if you're on your fucking um, what do you call those things when you walk up the stairmasters? Go ahead and turn it a level up at the gym because we're about to get hyped up with my new segment. I like to call trick or treat. All right, now, wild, wild, okay, Randy's wild Randy, here, baby. All right, wild Randy. Now also close your eyes though. 
All right. So I don't know. Okay. All right. Now, what I have here is I have a six pack of Bud Light. One of them has already been taken by Brett earlier and, and drunk, and that's totally fine. That's not a problem. But what, what, what Brett doesn't know is that one of the remaining five Bud Lights is a Michelob Ultra. Boo. Boo. So what I'm going to do is I'm mixing them all around in the six pack. And only that's forever, the beer based only, on, based on um, yeah. uh, my viewing of American television commercials. That's the beer that is perfect for when you've just finished a 10K run. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, there, there's two fit ladies run up to each other. And then the one hands another one a Michelob you Ultra. Just, you're but, coming Brett, fresh off a Here's 10K, what's fucking psychotic. Now, Brian, Michelob Ultra. Brian Heverin Smith, our engineer producer, he is my brother-in-law. Okay, there. Is that, do you guys know about this? He's my brother-in-law. Now his family, Nepotism. the Smith, the Smith side of them, those motherfuckers, they're thin and they walk and run very far. They run marathons, they do Ironmans, they do hikes up the mountain. I was in Montana with him, and he can attest to this. We were in literally Montana. We walked up a mountain. It was like a seven-hour hike. We all came back to their house. They're all fit as hell. Immediately started pounding Michelob Ultra. All so right. well, the joke is correct. on you, Brett. That commercial is real. Trick or treat, folks. One of these is the Michelob Ultra. I'm going to let Brett pick one, and if he picks a tricky, he gets a Bud Light. What's the what's the, dilly dilly? If he picks a, a Michelob Ultra, boom, it's a trick, and he has to drink a horrid Michelob Ultra. All right, here we go, Brett. What gonna, the fuck are the I'm rules gonna, of this game? You, you, you pick a beer to drink for the show, but the trick is you might drink a Michelob Ultra. All okay. right, here we go. I'm holding it in front of your face. Now go ahead and reach out. Forever Dog Plus is getting the real experience here. Now reach out for uh, straight ahead, Brett. I'm like putting it right in front of your head. Yeah. Now you go ahead and you pick one of these five beers. This would be a Michelob Ultra or a Bud Light. Are you going to get a trick or I'm a treat? I'm feeling the bottle cap. There might be some difference, some subtle difference. Ah, uh, tricky, tricky. What's he going to pick, folks? What's he going to pick? Okay, I got it in there. Chat's get going my insane la- right now. You're all Cha- up in my laptop. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chat's going crazy right now. What's Brett going to pick? Oh, yo. oh he's going to pick that one. He's going to pick. Oh, you picked the Bud oh, Light. I got a Bud Light. That, mean, that means I win. You win. I you win. win. That's a treat. So what do you have to do? Because I won. Not, well, I get a Bud Light. Cheers. Twist off? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, baby. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Let's see if I can go through this mask with this. Okay. Folks, are we watching spooky movies? I logged a couple this week, and you can read about them on my brand new, brand spanking. Ah, uh, Wild Randy. Read about them on my letterbox. Brett, you <laughs> That was right on one of my incisors. Okay, Brett chipped the tooth <laughs> on his wild Randy mask. It cost, I guess, over $200. He won't fucking tell us. He put it on layaway. Look, it'll on be paid com- off by On Christmas. the company card. What the fuck is wrong with you? I, I mean, are you serious about that? Don't worry, Sandy. You're still getting presents because this baby's going to be paid off by Christmas. And your present. No sweat. <laughs> and your Christmas present. All right, well, be careful. I'm not paying for your fucking dental bill either. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here, too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. (laughs) 
let's start with your because Joe is on Letterbox. This is a big development. Is everybody following Joe on Letterbox? That would be I would appreciate follow that. Joe on Letterbox. This is my big social media thing. Um, and it was I was off to a good start this week. I, I was I've been having some fun. Um, Joe's not on social media because he's terrified of what he might say. No, but I'm on Letterbox. But he is on Letterbox now. He feels that's a safe uh, a safe space for him. I'm not on Twitter like Brett because I don't have to. Every fucking thought that pops into my head, I think, is worthy of telling everybody about it. That's why, because it's not as easy as it looks. You don't make it look easy at all. Tightrope walk, baby. So this week on Letterbox, I watched a couple films, and I want to toss out a couple thumbs down and a couple thumbs up. Um, that's not how Letterbox works. There's a five star rating, but you're gonna have to go to Letterbox to see what the stars I have given to it, baby. Brett, the first film I watched this week, I reviewed on my Letterbox, was the uh, the 2012, I believe, anthology classic question mark vhs the first one okay the first one you ever seen vhs brett i haven't but that's an anthology of different horror directors doing uh yes shorts and whatnot that's right okay now folks last week i slammed david bruckner's new hellraiser movie on hulu but i gotta say david bruckner starts out this vhs the very first one with a short called amateur night scared my pants off folks and then at the end, I thought the last short was really good. So an uneven, it's an anthology film, right? Uneven, but there's got some good scares in there. Watch that this week. I'm going to go ahead and give that a thumbs up, okay? Joe, what's your handle on Letterboxd? People are out. I'll, I'll just throw I think it. It's just jo- I think it's Joe Cilio. C-I-L-I-O is All right. my name. Let's see if we can find this. this Guys, I, I also watched the film, watched Terrifier, folks. Are, are all the horror heads out there? You watched it? I watched Terrifier 1. I, I, okay. haven't, I haven't seen 2 yet. Terrifier 2, people people are saying people are throwing up. They're passing out. That's they can't right. get through it. They're, they can't get through it. It's too vile and grotesque. So I watched Terrifier 1 just for the to be like, okay, great. I, uh, what's up? So this guy, they made it for $35,000. And it looks it. But I'll tell you what. They have some real trademark a plus kills in there they have one showcase kill that he puts savvily right at the top of his film and it really sets the tone and creates sort of an impression and sort of buys him a shit ton of goodwill-esque it's like uh yes this is a horror film baby we we, we ain't slow burning this no no and he really go ahead and gives the movie an identity right at the top which i thought was very scary it's very gruesome and disgusting it's it's absolutely loathsome and i've heard that the kills in the second one are loathsome as well which is cool then, folks, is well, that just yeah. is it sort of a movie that's just playing that game, or did you like the story and the world? No, it is it, it is playing that. Game. That's just the game. The it's game like, is play disgusting, game. grotesque yeah. kills. In fact, so much so that I would give the movie a thumbs down. Although I respect it, I respect the hell out of it. It costs thirty five. And it's a clown. It's a clown. It's a clown. Doing it. It's okay. a clown. Art the clown. How are they doing? Because because. I mean, with that amount of money, that is that is there is something really uh, admirable about a movie with that low budget. I respect the hell out of the movie. And I'm really like, I don't have nothing to do with the movie. I'm like, as a horror fan and as a film lover fan, I'm proud of the Terrifier 2 team and Leon and everybody involved that they did something impossible in modern American cinema, which is they made a movie essentially on Kickstarter with their friends based on their cool little first movie. And then they put it in some theaters and did so well at the box office that they put it in more theaters. And now it's headed to like two point five, three million dollars total domestic already, you know, made on for one hundred and twenty five hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like props and respect. I mean, that's cool as hell. You saw if you watched our Blade Nosferatu live stream. And if you didn't, you can go back and watch it on Forever Dog Plus. You saw you saw me cooking up some fake blood right here in front of you. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Horror is in the horror is is right there for you in the in the aisles at your local Vons uh, supermarket. Horror is yeah. accessible. You don't have to shill out. 
you know, upwards of $2,000 for a mask like this in order to do horror. How much? You can, I'm just saying, theoretically, um, you horror is, horror effects are right there for you. And get creative with it. Get real creative with it. Make Terrifier. Make yeah, your so Terrifier. Make terrifier. You know, pretty, pretty admirable if you're a horror person. Also vile if you're just a regular person. Then, folks, the only question about this film, which I watched last night, is is it a four and a half stars out of five or is it a fucking five? And that's Thirst. Thirst. Okay, Park yes. Park Chan-wook's Thirst. Yep. Okay, okay. Brett, have you seen? Nope, I haven't seen this Thirst. You're lapping me on horror right the now. Truth. Park Chan-wook's Thirst. He made another five-star movie, The Handmaiden. He's made a lot of incredible movies um, that you probably have enjoyed, JSA, a bunch of other great Oh, films. I'm sorry. This is his new one? No, this is his in the late nineties. He right, made okay, this okay, film. Okay, his okay. new one, Destination backed, to Leave, or he's whatever. He's backed away from like the sort of extremeness of violence and stuff. He said he wants to make some, some more accessible. I think this new one's a little is like lighter fare. Yeah, it's I think called it's Decision still, to Leave. I don't I've heard know, it's still chat. very good. He's just yes. he's just uh, was saying that he was getting bored by this like barrier to entry of his movies. Okay, like what if I just took it away for one movie? Let's good see for him. I, he, I like he, it. I he's like insanely it. talented. It doesn't feel like a sellout move. It feels like an interesting aesthetic decision for him. He's a true artist. And yeah. this movie Thirst is on another level when it comes to horror movies. This is the real. This is the real fucking deal. Well, you and know, I love The Handmaiden, one of my favorite the, the, the movies the of all hand, time. Okay, that, now is it as good as The Handmaiden? No, but is like is, is? anything as good as The Handmaiden? No. I don't think so. It's a five stars. So anyway, um, love Thirst, and then finally, Brett, did you, Brian, anybody in the chat who watched Halloween Ends? Anybody watch? Halloween we watching ends. Halloween Ends, folks. Halloween ends. Brett, did you watch quick... Halloween ends? I didn't watch Halloween ends. No, it's on what is on Peacock. I haven't watched that yet. It's on Peacock. Wait, hold on now. I mean, listen, it's sorry. Can we talk for five seconds about David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy? Yes, please. Brett. Have you have you seen any of these films? I have. I watched. Uh, I guess the first one because what was it? Halloween? Halloween kills. Halloween ends. Right. That's right. I watched the first one. I watched the first one. I what liked you, it. What you think? I liked it. You liked it. Yeah. 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 I liked it very much. I'm a big Halloween fan, as you know. I love the original Halloweens. I love Rob Zombie's Halloweens. And I really do like David Gordon Green's Halloweens. Um, but, you know, Halloween ends is fun because it's Halloween. You know, they take a big swing. But just because you take a big swing, you know, which is awesome and admirable and cool and I'd love it, doesn't mean that the whole thing is works 150%. So I thought that the movie was entertaining. I was, you know, I, I'd watch it if it was Drek. But it wasn't Drek. It had a lot of cool things. I think the films are really good. I'm sure they'll be appreciated more over time. Halloween Ends really gives you the vibe of like a, what's Ryan Johnson's Star Wars where everyone's like, it's actually the best one because it's the worst one. Or it's actually the best one because it's the kooky one. So you're saying that about Halloween Ends? Halloween Ends sort of has that vibe where it's like, yeah. it's good because it's kooky. And, and it seems it, like and a it real, is good uh... because it's kooky, but also it is a little kooky. It's pretty good. I loved it, though. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot, a lot of so you can tell us with a lot of these horror movies. Like it doesn't mean it wasn't the best movie I've ever seen, but man, I really loved it. It was so nice when it came on Peacock. I was actually relieved I didn't have to go to the theater this time because I got a one month old baby. His name is Peter Lorenzo. What's up, he, Enzo? He's my son. Anyway, that is a little peek behind the curtain. You can follow me all horror month Oscar. What is it? October long, baby. On Letterbox, son. I what put, are you uh, watching, Brett? You see any horror films this week? I put uh, Joe's Letterboxd uh, link in the chat, uh, so you I can, fo you can follow him on there. Follow him. He's 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 a real good follow, follow on Letterboxd. Right, thanks, bro. I was just trying it out this week, guys. I had a had a heck of a lot of fun. Brett, you watching any horror before, movies? Before I answer that, I also want to say that that um, 
that uh, the the wonderful Jessica, who I don't think is on uh, the live stream right now, uh, but she created a Discord for Weekend at Bergman's, a Discord, uh, which is very exciting. Um, so if you are not uh, in that yet, let me see how I do this. How do I invite people to the Discord? Um, you know, I don't know, but I'm sure we people. can. Here we go. By Thursday, we and can here's tweet the link. There we go. I found it right now. So there you go. I'm putting our Discord link in the old chat right there. Love it. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast, just look in the episode description. You'll see a link to the Discord there. Join us on Discord. What a great forum for talking about the movies. That's it. Um, with your friends, make some new friends. I love seeing Bergman's heads come together. A lot of you know people that you know knew each other from Double Threat World, Best Show World, whatever, whatever, coming together into a new world weekend at Bergman. Uh, meeting new people, uh, the, the, talking the, movies. The, the conversation is just off and running. It's just, yeah. it's just they're talking movies at this yeah. point. It even doesn't even have anything to do with the show, which I love no. and I, I endorse fully. But I also endorse talking about the show if you want. And I know me and Brett technically are on the Discord, but you, you know what? I'm sure you guys are all nice. So just you know, go feel free to any rip us to shreds in, you know, made, in a nice way. You're all very nice. But like, just forget say whatever forget you want. We're looking. Say whatever you want. Just say whatever you want. Joe, be like Joe was fucking wrong. I actually hated when he said blank. I totally disagree. He stinks. Uh, LOL. So then I'm like, okay. The funny thing is, we don't think we yeah. don't even have to say this because everybody. <laughs> Our our audience is just already they're like yeah no shit you, yeah, yeah you can't oh oh what you can't you, yeah yeah we're gonna say whatever we want you yeah. know like you don't yeah so this is yeah, more for us this is basically us uh, pretending yeah. that we're like cool with it we're, we're pretending that we're on board with a train uh, that is already going sixty miles an hour and yeah, we're like we're shit, you know and we're yeah. acting like we're the right. um you know we're sort of making the rules on the train but the right. train is is go is going it's going that's a bullet train baby right. it's going. Um, so, but we are fine with it. So say whatever you want. I've, uh, you know, yeah. I've, uh, I, I, I follow the same rule on the double thread discord. I'm not going to jump. If you're going to, if you got something bad to say about the episode, say it, baby, I'm not going to jump in and, and, and like, you know, uh, make you feel bad about it or, or, or say, what about this? What about that? What about this? It's a free forum for expression. Uh, cause we don't always hit the mark. Somebody I think on the discord didn't like my argument last week about, uh, the trope of old women in horror films. They yeah, said, I agree. I, they said I kind of it was it was it was poorly executed as an <laughs> argument, um, and that's my you know, burner. That's <laughs> <laughs> someone said I look like a look like dog shit this week. That's <laughs> yeah, uh, my burner. Look, Randy don't care. Wild Randy don't care. Okay, that's uh, that's zero for two yeah, in terms of caring. I'm it up fine. With the wild I'm Randy fine pit. with it. I love it. I love. I love being kept. Uh, you know, honest. Um, because look, I'm not. We we record these every week. I don't. I'm not going off and I'm not. I'm not Katrina Longworth going off for six months researching a topic. Okay, I'm doing as much as, as much research and preparation. And look, God bless Karina Longworth. Great podcast. I'm just saying, I've got a week. What are you saying? I've got a week. Less than a week. Got a couple days every week to get ready for these episodes, prepare, watch the movies. What are you, what are you saying right now? I'm just saying the arguments. You're saying are, is why the show's not good. I'm saying sometimes the arguments are going to be a little half baked because I'm still thinking through them. But that's why the Discord and the chat is great because you guys can come <laughs> in and say, say no, no, not that kind of this, more like this. You can participate in the Discord. It's a developing discourse, as Stephen A. Smith says on first take. It's fluid. It's a fluid situation, and what he means by that is. I have not prepared for this episode because I was I was literally on a red eye last night from from you know wherever else I was coming from. That guy's on TV twenty four hours a day. You don't you don't buy this nuclear war shit, do you? So what I'm saying is, 
just it, this is a conversation that you can take part in and i we endorse that and we love it yeah just go on the discord um brett yes you were asking me about horror films is oh yeah have you seen it? yeah no I was, I was about to do what do you think the chances of nuclear war are but we can do horror films instead brett you watch any horror movies this week uh yeah sorry toxic femme film says you must remember to prepare for this week's show i didn't i didn't really intonate it correctly but she's playing off of you must remember this i love um, that making fun of uh, my lack of so, preparation so let's talk about this for a second i've asked you about 17 times if you watched any horror movies this week and i'm guessing here's what i'm thinking almost seems like i'm, I'm thinking avoiding the answer is no are you just it's okay maybe you just didn't watch any horror this week uh no i have been making my way through the through the uh criterion channel 80s horror films um i've watched um uh, the Keep, the Michael Mann film that came after, I believe it came right after Thief. Thief was his first film. How was it? Which is wild because Thief is is exquisite. It's a kind of film uh, much like your, it's not as bad as this, so don't take this the wrong way. But a film like, you know, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, uh, Gates of Heaven, uh, The Snowman, a film whose like production was like so, it's, it's almost like, God bless you even getting up, getting 90 minutes together to like put out. Like I read that the, the production of the keep um, was just very plagued with difficulties and, and budgeting issues and, and cool uh, uh, disputes between Michael Mann and the producers in the studio. Lots of that, a lot of producer notes. And then Michael Mann was like, I made thief get off my set. And they're like, yeah, but we're paying for the keep. So you got to do the key. It's like, you got to do the monster the way we want you to do the monster, blah, blah, blah. So I think it was a very difficult set and the world has never seen the Michael Mann cut of the keep. He says, you're never going to see it. He says hey, his Michael Mann's Someone thing about the though. keep is like, it's got to be somewhere. Somebody owns it. They, they, the keep they is it. about, uh, it has a, a very fascinating plot. It's like sort of that, like, uh, you know, a, a Nazi occult thing okay. uh, where the Nazis uh, are uh, out in like the deep, deep Alps. Um, and they're like, it's like one band of Nazis has to like guard this keep because it's like an important kind of, um, you know, uh, important part of the of the Nazi war train or okay. something, blah, blah, blah. Right. So this keep is very important. So they're guarding this keep out in the wilderness in the Alps. Right. But the keep is, which is this big stone fortress, harbors a dark secret. It sounds fucking in the good, form of a demon. No, no. The plot is great. All it's right. got Gabriel Byrne in it. It's got Ian McKellen in it. It's got one of the most fascinating Ian McKellen performances because you can tell. I don't know if it's his first film role, but it's definitely an early one because he is he is he is he is doing line reads like he's on stage at the RSC. He is like <laughs> he is like he is still pure. <laughs> Everything is so big oh. but not like because you know because i know you always say mckellen's always big and gandalf is big but G gandalf is a sort of cinematic he has sort of figured out cinematic acting at that point yeah gandalf this fucking is rules. of course what i'm saying is that it's not just that it's big it's that it's very um it just has the tone of a of a stage performance to it ian mckellen's performance uh but it's kind of wacky and fun for that reason okay uh so gabriel byrne is in it um uh, it, it it's a uh, it's just a very uneven movie that feels uh that 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 um when you read about the production history you're like oh got it yeah but it's still got enough sort of kooky stuff going on and it's Michael Mann and it's got a Tangerine Dream soundtrack you know like um like Thief so it's got that cool right. sort of That's movie cool. atmospheric sounds good it's man. got a lot of Michael Mann sort of um you know that uh 80s Michael Mann of of Thief and Manhunter it's got a lot of that sort of style to it it just is it is shocking to watch because. You know, Manhunter and Thief have such sort of a 
precision of technique and such a such a just such a control to the aesthetic and keep is kind of messy and all over the place um so it is uh it's sort of like a, that's why i was like oh this must have been his first movie and i was like oh no he did thief before this uh, i'm gonna uh, do you think, do you think like the produce like the producers got in there and chopped that up and moved it all around kind of a thing the, the producers had a very heavy hand and, right. and michael mann was like guys did you watch thief just trust me on this trust nothing me. worse than producers um so we're producers uh, uh oh, so yeah. thief uh yeah thief was 1981 the keep was 1983 manhunter was 1986 what a fucking run though because the keep is still interesting i would watch it um and then he gets into his sort of big budget phase last of the mohicans heat the insider ali collateral miami vice the very underrated Miami. that's a vice. great filmography it really is come on and the and, only really the only outlier is, is black hat i don't know how i don't know how black hat <laughs> happened michael mann made black hat the one where yeah. uh, uh uh what's his name chris hemsworth is a is a hacker because that that is definitely believable um he's got ferrari coming out though his big ferrari movie wow with adam driver uh and ferrari's first name it's Enzo, Enzo baby. And that's that's why named I after. named him after. Because he loves fast cars. I love fast cars and Adam Driver. Oh, God. Just the default casting at this point. Um, well, but he is great. Who would you cast as Enzo Ferrari? Open casting call, baby. Shock me. Shock the world. New face. Like Time Jared for new faces. Leto. New no. face. Time for new faces. Open casting call. Shock me. Um, okay, so I watched The Keep. Uh, I watched Prince of Darkness, the John Car- Carpenter movie. Well, what did you think of Prince um, of Darkness? The John I uh, I liked it. I did not like it as much as you did. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. What what? Uh, sell me on Prince of Darkness. What am I? Um, Thank you. It's um, I mean, it's fun. It's kind of it's kind of goofy. Um, it has like a it has like a very dense. Uh, commitment to like sort of theoretical physics and like yeah. it's very like Carpenter <laughs> I feel like Carpenter true. Carpenter was like reading a lot yes. when he made Prince of Darkness he read like and, two Scientific American yeah. articles and uh, to, to, to a point that it becomes a little uh, good it, 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 I don't know it inhibits the, the flow of the movie a little bit for me but uh, I loved it it's just very it's surprisingly for a sort of kitschy horror movie it is dense on theory physics uh, is sort of uh, existential stuff, ontology, all this kind. Of, Here's know, a Prince stuff. of Darkness. Yeah. John Carpenter says to himself late in his film career, he goes, "Enough fucking bullshit. I don't need the fucking dance for the fucking children anymore. Why don't I just go ahead and boil this stuff down? It's like his like manifesto. It's like a. It's like he's leaving behind a, a secret message, and he says, "These are the foundational." bones of horror what if i stripped down all of the nonsense his words not mine i love john carpenter's this is like me on the faculty because this is no. a sho- this is a shockingly good argument i'm hearing okay, i just don't know you. if i just don't know if it um if it's real if it matches uh the movie i saw but keep going okay, yeah he's he just boils it down to the elements so instead of like many people's bodies covered in boils bursting it's like one instead of many demons flying out of the mirror it's just the hand of satan himself and it's very calm and dark and terrifying and very um uh alienating and 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 the some of the images are distant and dreamlike and it's sort of um kind of everybody trapped in this uh old church slash school building and it's just carpenter's sort of showpiece of um the horror basics and foundation uh something to build upon but also sort of like a master sort of having been through all the rigmarole and tried all the tricks and he's just 
he's leaving sort of like a message of a, these are the things that I've taken away from this craft of effective storytelling. Um, he doesn't need any uh, any fireworks or any tricks. Um, I think it's a brilliant movie. I absolutely love the images in the movie, the pacing of the film. Um, uh, it's beautiful. It's scary. I'm a humongous, humongous Prince of Darkness guy. Uh, uh, Jakey Chains in the chat's bringing up some good points. He says, uh, well, he agrees with you on uh, Prince of Darkness as one of John Carpenter's best. Thank you. Um, he uh, says the keep is a mess with impeccable vibes. That's exactly what okay. I was. That's that's Sounds what I good. was after. That's that's the description I was after. It is a mess, but the vibes are impeccable. Tangerine Dream soundtrack. That Michael Mann, you know, Manhunter thief esque cinematography. Uh, very moody and atmospheric. Makes you think there's more going on than there actually than there actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, Jakey also Jakey Chains also says Black Hat rules. LOL. <laughs> yes. I don't think I've ever. I think I watched like the first sequence of Black Hat because I was like, let me give Black Hat a try. Don't judge a book by its cover, Brett. Maybe maybe watching. we need to watch it on this podcast. Watching. I mean, it is right Michael here. Mann, Michael Mann's own baby. Um, all right, so let's. Um, all right, so what I say? I said the Keep, uh, Prince of Darkness. I watched uh, Inferno, the second of yeah. the Three well, Mothers I mean, trilogy. What'd you think of that? Um, stinks. Uh, didn't stink, but very similar to Prince of Darkness. Just very um, dense on the yeah, like. Stupid. It was sort of like I I I just didn't think it was so necessary. There's just a lot of like uh, of sort of theorizing about the occult and kind of spelling out the occult. Uh, uh the, the the sort of the the. You know, the yeah. the context of this Three Mothers trilogy that he's developing. Um, I uh, It's just so much more effective when you just do the damn thing, Argento. Uh, Inferno, I was like, I was like, why did you feel the burden? No one's like, I don't know if anybody was like asking for like, but what's like the dense theoretical basis of the Three Mothers thing? Like what is like, I don't know if anyone was asking for that. Um, so Inferno was a little, it was a little... Uh, uh, plotting for me um but uh i loved uh i loved going through the cities i loved getting it out of you know the suspiria ha- uh, um mm-hmm. school going through the cities that like that basement that's like submerged in water there's a lot of really good yeah. sets to it totally um uh and it's a, it's a it's a pretty wild it's got a wild ending but uh who i mean the, the 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 first 5 minutes is literally just a voiceover of someone reading from that from that Thomas De Quincey book without context yeah, and just like this is this is literally the 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 sort of ravings of someone that's on laudanum like i don't like i don't know how i, I like i think maybe at some point you, you like read a line from it and it feels evocative and poetic but if you're going to read full pages then suddenly it's like pulling the curtain up and it's like oh this this is this is nonsense this is going mm-hmm. nowhere um so uh anyway well those are great i mean so it sounds I've like been you, having you're fun. crushing horror movies i've been that's, having fun that means you watch fucking five this week that's fucking i'm nuts. leaving near dark as a little little Ooh. little chocolate on my pillow i love near dark so near i'm gonna Dark's watch good. that when i'm in a good mood near dark is good I, other like really good horrors i watched this month titan incredible i don't know if i talked about it on the podcast titan is amazing um prince of darkness is incredible but thirst near dark is incredible but holy shit holy holy moly i don't know if it's the best of them all because prince of darkness is great and titan is great and we watched we watched literally watched alien but man oh man is thirst good brett you would love check it out that's my recommendation for this week brian check it out brian somebody that's in, vampires uh, yeah somebody sorry real quick before we go to brian somebody in the chat has mentioned wake and fright the australian movie wake and fright which 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 forces me uh, i'm required to remind everyone that the director of wake and fright 
is also the director of Weekend and Bernie's, Ted Kotcheff. Yes. R- incredible love arc. Love you, Ted. One of those incredible arcs going from Wake and Fright to Weekend Bur- at Weekend at Bernie's. How good's Weekend at Bernie's? Uh, still maybe one of the best films it we've watched. It is fucking best. Um, Brian, you watched any horror lately? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I watched, this week I watched The Craft and I watched The Witch. Wow. <laughs> well, he did his homework. All right. All right. Well, look, well, that, 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 that's a good transition anyway. Um, folks, just to sort of set the stage here, Brett, before you do your piece, yeah. Brian is watching all of the horror movies with us this month, but an important thing to note about Brian as a horror watcher is he's only afraid if the terror is human-based. So it, it needs to be. Is that a, what it is? I feel like yeah. I, I've lost track of no, his no. whole. The terror can only come not from um, a monster or perhaps any sort of unearthly spirit, but only a person with a knife who's a slasher or a person who's a knife slasher that's his body or her body is put into another body a la Chucky or some sort of ghost because that used to be a person. Brian, am I getting it right? I mean, you're warping my my words a little bit. I don't think I am. What are your words? (laughs) I said I'm not afraid of creatures. Okay. Uh, now it's become uh, no, a personal. Uh, <laughs> right. We're evaluating movies here. We're not. We're yeah, not... Uh, 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 oh, sorry. Wait. Okay. Wait. All right. So, so the. All right. So, look. Let's just fucking skip it, man. Here's what one thing I do know is that witches are people. You're Absolutely. scared. Are you scared of witches? Yes. What 100%. about what about what about Black Philip, who sort of rides the line? That's true. That's the devil in AKA, a goat. Yeah. Devil in a goat is no human beings at all. But yeah. he can take the form of a human being, much like Wild Randy can take the form of Randy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm scared of Black Phillip, uh, and I'm scared of Wild Randy. Uh, Black for- Phillip, to me, not to be a dick, is a creature. Well, Wait, no, 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 but... It- yeah, you're scared of Wild Randy. You're not scared of Randy. Randy. No is one's the scared human. of Randy. Everyone's mad about Randy because it's a fucking waste of money. I don't understand. You're not even wearing the mask when you're Randy. I can't speak when you're Randy, you're just a guy with hair. I can't speak through the mask. It's muffled. I guess I could sort of just bend over. Like, could I? What is? What happens when I do this? Don't, no, do not do that. If I'm just like, if I just go down like that. <laughs> Nah, um, all right, so Brian, you can, yeah, so Brian, sorry, go, so, so anyway, I, I hate to yell and scream and all that. No, I don't, I love it, but uh, no, Brett, you're now under the camera, no one can see anything happening. That, yeah, look, the whole thing was a mistake, that's good. So, so Brian, which is which is you were scared? Did either of these films scare you? Yeah, both of them, both of them scared you, yeah, yeah, okay, I like that. Now, just a little. The, the crafts like scared you about which ones yeah yeah what part of the craft the craft is a great movie we'll get into it but i'm always what, like what? rooting for the people who would be the scary ones in the scenario when I, the witches maybe here's some maybe scary parts do you when identify the- with the jocks <laughs> 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 brian's like honestly yeah, the whenever, craft whenever i was you. the craft i was most scared of veruca's performance it was yeah. uh, i'm sorry i just called her veruca that's okay that, that's okay we know that's, that's, we, that's probably everybody yeah. will know who you're talking about now yeah yeah, yeah. Veruza Bulk, of course. Veruza Bulk, a.k.a. Veruca Salt. Incredible performance. Uh, So let's, um, all right, well, let's get, let's start with the craft. Here's what I want to do. Let's start with the craft. Uh, Because we've been starting with the art house movie, and I do think I do think the order in which we go can have an effect on the conversation. So let's let's uh, mix it up. We'll start with the craft. Um, 
Then I want to give my uh, brief book report on the history of witchcraft. Oh, I uh, which love Which will be that. very illuminating. I've that got some fucking fun good. It's gonna be very good. Uh, I think it'll be better going into the witch though, but it may sort of in, in you know in in retrospect uh, in you know influence your thinkings of on the craft as well. Okay, but let's start with the craft. Um, the craft came out in 1996. It was uh, directed by Andrew Fleming, a screenplay by Peter Filardi and Andrew Fleming. Uh, of course, stars, uh, stars Feruza Balk, Robin Tunney, uh, who also in this year starred in uh, Empire Records. And I believe, yes, I think she's wearing a wig in this movie because she, she had shared, she had shaved her head for Empire uh, Records. That's right. Uh, and so she, they they had her in a wig for this movie because the, the two. So I mean, what a what a what a what a year for Robin Tunney. Uh, two uh, iconic films of '90s cinema. Em- it was her Empire year. Records and the Let's craft. Just- it was uh, her year. Uh, Nev Campbell, uh, Rachel True, uh, and then of course we've got uh, what's his name, Skeet Ulrich. Uh, we've got your obligatory Brecken Meyer. Uh, him doing his just uh, and it made me feel right at home when <sighs> Brecken's doing his thing in a '90s Brecken, movie. Oh my god! It's like I'm just like transported back in time, and you know, there's a crackling fucking fireplace. This is the meanest Brecken Meyer, though. This he is, is cruel. The, he is, He's like Tim Roth in the Cook and the Thief in this one. And he's so he is. He's like the mean henchman who's like meaner than the than, so than the uh, than the lead uh, uh, villain. I still want to grab uh, him and give him a little freaking noogie though, because he's so fucking cute. He but doing the Breckenmeyer delivery on what are like truly despicably like mean lines <laughs> is is really it's just a it's just a true depth of cruelty watching yeah. that character uh, because he's doing this Breckenmeyer sort of like play everything is sort of like a bit but he's like a bro he's like a bro hey bit. bitch i'm bro gonna bits. kill you yes like, all right well jesus um, christ dude that's so intense but, but he man. uh yeah and he's like and, and uh literally at one point robin tunney is trying to talk to skeet ulrich uh uh very nicely under the circumstances because skeet ulrich has just told everyone that they had sex to get uh, that they had sex together <laughs> that they had sex <laughs> the, yeah and, um, and that uh and that, and that she was the worst lays ever had when in fact they did not have sex because she did not want to have sex and so he felt uh you know self-conscious about that and then told the whole school that they did good movie um and so she is trying to like talk to him about that and saying hey can we go over here and talk about that and breck and meyer slips in and goes um, what's his name is Chris. Uh, Chris is not available right now, but like, if you leave a message, we can, you can, he's just doing this yeah, to her face. That was, that was real um, henchman shit. He is. And then as they're walking away, he looks at her and she's getting emotional because the, the, she's just being hit with this wave of, 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 of high school male cruelty. And Breckenmeyer goes, no, she's going to cry. And now I'm going <laughs> to cry. And then we're all going to cry. And he's doing these like bits. Yes. I'm like, this is. This is a despicable behavior. But uh, last week in the faculty, you said that you like when high school movies in I 90s films are do. toxic nightmares. I do. You like when I they are I love seeing high school. Tribal toxic nightmares. And That's I mean, look, the, like. the, 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 the characters in the faculty were, were, were you know, you could give them an a, a award for congeniality compared to the characters in the craft. Good God. Mm-hmm. It is a... Oof! Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, the '90s American high school. But I love it. Yeah, you're I say, a fan. You know, I, I think we should go back to that. Um, yep. You know, go back to just high school as this as this absolute hellhole, pit of depravity, a theater of cruelty. Um, because look, 
it not as a model for how to live, but because it yields great movies. It yields exciting, <laughs> exciting horror. Yeah, it, look, very at least for horror movies. At least for horror movies. You think? Yeah. It's if you're grill. doing, if you want to do your book smart, if you want to do your this or that, your edge of seventeen, whatever. By all means, you can give us a more, you know, or, or your Rushmore. That's a fun vision of high school. Um, yeah. If, but uh, yeah. Is, but is in, it... at least in the horror realm. Baby, keep it hell, hellish, hellish, mm. hellish. Okay, that's all my. That's all I'm asking. We don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Um, so uh, the craft is is a hellish vision of high school, much I think like we the do, faculty. Man. I think you know, like you know, like I've never seen Euphoria, but like seems like a hellish vision of high school to me. I what my vision of how people do high school now yeah, well, yeah, is that uh, there's that scene in the first uh, uh, 21 Jump Street with Channing Tatum and Johnny. Well, like yeah, Channing Tatum is like they're going back undercover as um, high school students. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were high school students in the 90s. And so they're like Channing Tatum immediately is like super mean to everyone and is like sort of homophobic and is very like 90s bully thing because that's what he remembers from high school. And then everybody at this at this like circa 2012 high school is like, what the so, hell dude, are you doing? Yeah, what are mean, you doing? Right, yeah. Right, okay. So I that's my vision of how Hollywood deals with high schools now is that is that um, cool. millennials and Gen Z are much more enlightened and 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 cool about things than 90s kids were. And certainly, you know, going back further generations. Um, sure. And I, I love that as a model for life. And I love but I that, still feel like despite know, their politics, they're still they're still I know, tribes is such an ugly little term. Sorry. Yeah. There's still these like distinctive groups tribalism like, yes, sure, yes. Right. yeah and so i think um i just I, I have a nostalgia for these 90s high school movies that just really just i mean this is like going in it truly is like going into hell it is just the only goal is is like cruelty and and these power dynamics and um if man and the craft but the craft is such like you don't get the craft without that vision of high school oh, yeah of course dude um well, it's, it's about that it's about yes. the it's about traumatized high schoolers so let's start there let's uh for those of you who uh ha- need a little refresher on the craft joe why don't you give us one of your classic 60 second 60 second summaries are you ready for this sure you it'll, know, it'll be as you know mediocre as it always is all right one second let me get the 60 seconds up while you uh feverishly search your brain for oh, christ what you remember about the craft oh lord plot wise i mean sure sure i know you got the themes down you're a yeah, themes yeah, guy yeah, yeah all right here we go Somebody from San Francisco named Sarah and her family move to L.A. and go to a new Catholic school, and Sarah is the new girl in town. Immediately, she realizes there's some different high school groups, and she sees that there's these three witchy ladies that the other students are deriding, and she stays away. She thinks, oh, you know what? There's this hot jock guy named Chris. I'm going to maybe see what he's all about, flirt with him a little bit. The witches are like, well, you know, they're not witches yet, but the witches are like, don't go with him. He's mean guy. Trust me. She goes with him. He's a mean guy. He spreads falsehoods about their sexual relationship. She joins the witches and the witches start getting powers now that they're all connected. Northeast, Southwest, there's four of them. They can finally start doing magic. They do magic. It enriches their life. But then, of course, they push it too far. And then they start. It all comes back to them karmically threefold. And all of their good. Five seconds. All their good magic turns bad. And then the some of the witches turn bad. They turn against Sarah. And then the witches use magic to fight Sarah. And then Sarah has to fight them back. And then Sarah keeps her powers. And the other witches, they lose because Sarah is the queen of which 
I stopped uh, recording, but that was like 30 seconds over. Uh, But nonetheless, a very good uh, synopsis of the craft and the back and forth, the power struggles of the craft. Um, And I kind of want to work backwards from the ending because I think the craft... um, Similar to like, you know, when the faculty had that really false note ending that kind of undid a lot of the goodwill that I thought I'd been building throughout the movie in which a character who it's 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 uncertain uh, whether or not his character is is gay or not. And they kind of go back and forth on it. And, uh, you know, she might be she might not be. And then at the very end of the movie, um, uh, because this is not a safe world to come out in. That's why they're hence the uncertainty. Um, and so, um, at the very end of the movie, uh, there's this big sort of like, like heteronormative turn where she kisses the quarterback and she has blonde hair instead of black hair. And it's like, ah, oh, she was now she is now she's been made whole. Not only is she straight, she's very straight. Uh, and thank God for that. So the faculty had that really bad move at the end. The craft has, has what, on the surface, on paper, is maybe not a great move where um, the, the 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 character, I think we should talk a lot about the Fruza Balt character, uh, really the, the dynamic heart of the movie, the pounding heart of the movie. As Joe said, someone who starts out, she's always sort she's always like, like cracking jokes and uh, throwing a middle finger up to authority and is like always like a cool rebel, like high school goth doing witchy stuff out in the woods. Um, But as she gains more power throughout the movie, uh, she does begin to get uh, corrupted by that power to the point that she's using it uh, exclusively for like evil and vengeance to the point that she's turning it on her own coven members, uh, um, namely Sarah, the main character trying to kill Um, them. And so she, she kind of does the villain turn, um, kind of, but she does the villain turn, but she's just such a great, such a great performance. And she's so cool that I kind of like, I'm still sort of, I still sort of like her. Well, like all great villains, you know, she has a little, she's very curious. You you have a little sympathy for them. But at the very end, uh, we find that Feruza Balk has been committed to a, uh, mental hospital. Um, and it is on, in isolation, it's like a very old school move and an otherwise sort of new school movie where it's like uh, playing on a lot of sort of female hysteria things and this and that. And that like witches need to be like caged up because it's like it's like unrestrained uh, feminine expression and things like that. And so it feels like a somewhat backwards move. But I don't think it is because of the way the movie's been set up, because because the. Robin Tunney, the main character, maintains her witch powers and, in fact, has, like, amplified her witch powers. So I like what they do there where it's not like it would have been a false move to me if, like, Robin Tunney had, like, like um, kind of turned her back on witchcraft, you know? And so there was this, like, dichotomy being set up of, like, oh, the person who went too far with witchcraft ended up in the mental asylum and the one who, you know, finally saw the light and turned her back on witchcraft gets to ride off into the sunset. They don't do that. Robin Tunney is stronger than she's ever been at the very end. She's literally, con- like, commanding the weather. She's, like, commanding, she, like, lightning and thunder. Yes, she's ascended to a new plane. So I like that it is because they set it up as a battle between two witches and not a battle between a witch and like a, a non witch or someone who is ultimately going to like, like turn their back on witchcraft because it's just like a sorcerer battle. Like, you know, you go back to like that, you know, that's the, the animated sword in the stone movie, the best, maybe the best scene in all the Disney movies is that is the, uh, I can't remember what they call it, but, but it's when mad Madam Mim and then uh, Merlin do their big wizards duel. And it's one of the best scenes ever in, in, you know, in animated movies. Jesus. Um and um 
that I mean, you know, so I love that the craft is set up similarly as like a witch's duel between two witches uh, so that no matter what happens, witchcraft is going to win. And I, I, I it's just who wields it better, who wields it with more sort of balance, who mm-hmm. wields it with with more sort of foresight and enlightenment uh, and control. So who is the true heir to the witchcraft throne is the question of the craft, not like is witchcraft good or not? The movie is very pro witchcraft to the point that it, they, I mean, you know, witches much like, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, boogeyman and horror, witches, you know, have always been a very sort of like stock, you know, villain in, in, in horror or in Hollywood, um, and in literature and, and in culture in general, as I'm going to get into when I do my book report on witchcraft, um, but in this, this is one of the, has got to be one of the first movies, definitely one of the first studio movies, um, that took witchcraft seriously enough to the point that they hired a, uh, they hired like a Wiccan consultant. So like everything that the, all of the spells in the, in that they were doing in the forest and the, and the, and the chanting and the sort of talismans they were using and, and all the iconography of witchcraft in the movie was approved by, by a Wiccan consultant. So this movie was not interested in portraying some sort of cartoon version of witchcraft. It takes witchcraft seriously as a, as a pursuit as something that is sort of spiritual, but outside the bounds of organized patriarchal religion. Uh, and it, and, it, and then uses that taking, taking witchcraft seriously is kind of the engine that drives the whole movie and makes it so cool and makes it not like, I think too cartoony or, or um, archetypal. Um, and it's the thing that salvages that otherwise like questionable ending of Feruza Balk, uh, who is the most dynamic female character in the movie ending up in a mental hospital where she's like i'm not crazy i swear why is it um, questionable it's yeah. a, it's not questionable ending it's a horror movie folks i don't know why everybody's treating every fucking movie like the bible and if it doesn't eat reach the fucking perfect ending then you know where she's like you know insane asylums are bad it's a fucking horror movie she ends up in a horrifying situation because of her evilness i don't know if it's so fucking crazy or despicable or interest or any of that shit well, that's not. Yeah, no, I, I think it I think it works, though, because the film itself is not. I think if the film as a whole, if it had been sort of like, cause you know, a lot of these old horror movies, they have basically Christian endings where horror is like horror is like completely vanquished. Witchcraft is completely vanquished. Sure. Paganism is completely. Vanquished. No, I, I do love what you're and saying. the women so who true. practiced it are then like lumped into the sort of hysteria, old hysteria trope of like, uh, you know, uh, of these women are just crazy and what they're doing is crazy. Um, so there's a little bit I, I just thought for a movie that was otherwise so sort of like novel in the way that it was dealing with witchcraft, yeah. it felt for a second like a little bit of an old fashioned move, but not but not in the in the full spectrum uh because not in the full view because of because of the robin tunney character and what they do with her that there is still this magisterial witch um rocking the high schools of the california coast okay so sort of on this like theme of when i saw the bad witch stuck in the mental institution screaming with her hands cuffed to the bed screaming like the you know like a crazy joker person um I was like, okay, the fucking craft. And that's how I felt the whole entire time. The craft, like, if it was, if the craft was made today, it would be just unwatchable. It would just be like an unwatchable. Like, they would all team up together and they would have powers, like, because they're all together and there would be some sort of, like, you know, girl power thing. Um, But sort of like the corporatized girl power sort of nonsense that we are sort of 
you know, spoon fed 24 seven today. This is like real girl power. These are four like real characters. I love the characters in this movie. It's really character driven horror um, where you get to know these women. You get to know sort of like their, their scars, their darknesses, their fears, their home situations, like what drives them. And you really become connected to them. And then the, you know, I think if the movie was made today, in this sort of like churn if it was on streaming and it came out today i feel like the witches powers they would have like learned how to be good witches and witches like help them become powerful and they learn more about themselves and they find the power within themselves none of that this is like brett saying this is like witchcraft for witches real witches it's like they, a recruitment pamphlet yeah, for they witches like, which is they, great. they have like yeah. real witch stuff and guess what the happens when they do like their witch stuff like it helps them a little bit um oh look the guy is doing everything i say now and oh i'm rich now but you know it monkey paws so beautifully and so darkly and then they try to fucking kill sarah the three witches they try to murder sarah and kill her in a mean nasty way they pretend her parents are dead then they try to murder her and then they're like barely sorry about it and then the main mean witch gets put in a mean ass mental institution screaming like a like a nut but it's she's so, so scary and crazy and da -da -da. and i was like man the craft has some fucking teeth the craft is concerned with these real characters not a collection of ideas or identities or politics these are real lived in characters the magic is really like working for me the scares are working for me and it is a girl power movie the fashion is fierce it probably changed the world like brett was saying at the top of this film everyone looks like the coolest person in the world witchcraft is scary as shit it's powerful oh um God. when they're doing you know, slow I love motion that it's powerful and scary it's not it's something not to be trifled with and they are fucking around with it in a bad way it's not some sort of like it doesn't connect to their like inner you know whatever it's they're literally witches and they literally use it to do what we would do if we got witch powers which is help our lives in our selfish ways and it would come back to haunt us just fucking good with some fucking teeth really well written well acted loved the deep these deep characters i felt it was really respectful like you're saying brett of like witchcraft of high schoolers of uh of young women i thought it was a really cool movie i did not really expect there to be that sort of like oomph to the whole proceedings i didn't there expect to be this depth to the whole proceedings and sure it also has all this fun uh, uh high school horror elements that are really um that make the vibes good and the tone popping and moving along um but man this movie is fucking fun it's got real uh chutzpah and i fucking love the craft brett the craft is great um i love the craft as well and it has i mean everything you're saying it's, it's a great combination of like it does like cool 90s late 90s cinema really well it has just a great aesthetic surface to the whole thing the soundtrack the looks uh nobody's ever looked cooler walking in slow motion down like the hallways of a high school or like through the cafeteria than this coven of witches. They look so fucking cool when they're walking around the high school in slow motion. The movie has a great aesthetic to it. Uh, led, I think, by Feruza Balk. Feruza Balk is like the beating heart of the, of the style and the charisma of the movie. Uh, and I think Everybody feeds off of that energy um, in terms of the people who are making the movie, the people who are acting alongside her. To me, she is like that. She is just this. This movie was made for her and she was made for it. And it's up and it is just it is absolutely perfect. Um, there's a lot of nuance in terms of character, though, like Joe was saying. There's two things I wanted to talk about, which is um, the uh, and people in the chat were mentioning this. Um, but Feruza Balk, who, whose character's name is Nancy, uh, Nancy and her mom have this great there's there's one great scene because so Nancy's 
um father or stepfather is like super abusive um and nancy uh at one point as she's and she also like doesn't you really there there is a full arc in this movie like nancy doesn't come in having harnessed her powers you see nancy develop as a witch in the movie in real time you see her harnessing her powers at one point um she's the de facto leader of the group but at one point uh uh, uh nev campbell and rachel true's character are starting to like sort of surpass her uh, and definitely um Definitely Robin Tunney are starting to surpass her in terms of what they're doing in spells. And she's kind of lagging behind. And then she has to like sort of catch up. Uh, so so you're seeing um, that character, Nancy, develop her powers and harness those powers as the movie's going on, which I really like. And at one point, um, when she really is coming into her powers, she basically like causes her, her dad or stepdad to have a heart attack and die. Um, and then her mom and Nancy find out that, that, that this guy had like $750,000 like life insurance policy or something like that. Yeah. It was like, it was like a $150,000 $150, $150, life insurance policy. And they're kind of shocked by it. And they both start like cracking up laughing. It's that like such great. a, it's such a like, like great move and note and you don't find that in a lot of these like high school 90s movies it's just such a it's such a sort of great like it's cathartic it's black comedy it's like it's like it's a lot of things at once but it's such a great move um and these the 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 coven of witches they they don't they don't fit in with everybody else in high school because they're just like cool and witchy and everybody else is like jockey and like preppy and mean and this and that um but they also don't fit in because they are like shockingly more mature than everyone else they go to high school with. And there is like, there's like two scenes in particular where, um, uh, so Rachel true's character is picked on by, um, uh, Christine Taylor's character. Christine Taylor's in this as well. Um, Christine Taylor's character is just super fucking racist. Um, like cartoonishly performatively racist. Um, or real. And, uh, yes, but I mean like in the sense of like, um, it's not being expressed in sort of like co- connotatively. Like no, it no. is like that's she what I'm is saying. Like, like saying racist slurs. It to is rape. like yes. it, she is yeah. all in. It is um, awful to watch, but, but it's effective and good storytelling. But Rachel True, who had no her or her character had no responsibility or no need to do this. But there's a there's a scene where like Christina Applegate is just saying racist shit to Rachel True's face, and Rachel True looks at her and she's like basically like what are you doing? Like, what, like, what, like, what's going, like, what's going on here? Like, what are you, like, there is like, and then, uh, Robin Tunney does that to Skeet Ulrich when he, like, she comes up to him after he has like told everyone that, that they slept together. Um, uh, she comes up to him similarly and was like, can we talk? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's like, they strike me as like literally like adults who are going to high school with students and would react to like students, like the, like the way an adult would react to high school cruelty, which is like, it's so, yeah, transparently it's so transparently cruel and stupid and immature that your response is not like antagonistic your response is like what are you what are you doing like what's wrong with you like like okay. deeply what's wrong with you um and so right. they have that right. um but they don't get the, the the students they're talking to like that don't can't respond to them on that level so they just get more and more cruelty from the christina applegates and skeet olrixes and that's when they resort to using magic to just torture them which is which is i'm not gonna lie it's fun it is it's done so viscerally though that at a point at just some deep human level you do begin to at least for me you do begin to sympathize with christina applegate and skeet olrick because it's just like well i think they do it the characters do as well the characters do as well because at some gut human level um it's not it's not you know you that that's who that's who they are is they they are capable of that sort of cruelty without question cruelty without compunction whereas the coven 
at a point, uh, maybe not Farouza Balk's character, but at a point, the other members of the coven, they hit a point where they're just like, okay, this is just, I know she deserves it and she's an awful person, but at, at some gut level, I just can't do this to a human being. Um, and so you see this sort of tightrope walking all throughout the movie of they're using the, the the powers that this coven has as witches to explore some pretty interesting ethical uh, dilemmas and ethical questions um, and, and what it means to sort of go to high school with a bunch of like uh, cruel sociopaths paths and to what extent do you uh fight fire with fire uh to what extent does that turn you into the person you're trying to uh fight against and then to what point do you sort of salvage yourself from that situation or or or, you know distinguish yourself from that situation so there's a lot of like all of those lines are being navigated throughout the movie and the characters it's like all four characters sort of ride those lines in different ways and that's how you get the balance and the power shifts and dynamics of the movie it is a really really well structured story it's like this is how you structure a, a a film narrative through character. This is a great example of how you do it. But it's also how you, I agree, it's also how you fill characters full of richness. You know, like, they all, sometimes I feel like characters can be so, like, uh, their characterization is so, you know, soft or so like, oh, she's sad because he broke up with her or something. These characters have real, they're dealing with real issues that are shown for real in the film, whether it's like an abusive household or, or there's like, disgusting over racism and they are just like on camera so you really are like on their side like this is so bad and then they really torture these people and then it really goes too far and it's really effective and then they really turn on each other and i just found all the twists and turns to be like surprising and gritty and and good and also just like class like uh, not classy but just um like uh the the the, i thought the art direction and the witchiness was on point so much in this film the 90s-ness was on point just like witchy 90s extravaganza and not this isn't witchy 90s like we're trying to do witchy 90s this is because it was of the moment this is the real this is as hardcore witchy 90s as you could possibly get this is the real stuff and i just like just drank it up in my cup big fan of the craft here brett All right, so now what I want to do is uh, let's talk about the history of witchcraft, witch hunts, this whole this whole mess. Um, and I want I'm not going to do the whole history of witchcraft. I want to look at uh, a couple key chapters in the history of witchcraft. You may know about these things, you may not know about them. Um, I want to start with uh, the. Uh, uh, a, a a maybe one of the most his, sort of hysterical chapters in 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 uh, witch hunt, witch hunts in mm, history, where good. the whole culture just lost their damn mind um, for for about a hundred years. Yeah, the twenty twenty election. And I'm of course talking about um, Scotland between the years fifteen ninety and sixteen sixty two. Joe, did you know this? Scotland Scotland had one of the most uh, deadly and and sort of comprehensive. Uh, witch hunts um, in that sort of English Renaissance period, 1590 to 1662. Scotland, they they were... panicked about witch. They couldn't stop talking about witches, couldn't stop putting them on trial, Uh, couldn't stop executing them. uh, And to give you a number, during this period, out of a population, Scotland's population this time was roughly 1 million people, 1 million people, approximately 2,500 
quote-unquote witches, majority of them women, were executed during this time period. 2,500 people out of a population of a million were executed for being witches, which is five times the average European execution rate per capita during that time for all crimes. Tough time to be a witch. For all crimes. So five times as many people were being executed in Scotland for being witches than were being executed in any other European country for anything during this time period. Damn, what was the contributing factor? This, I'll tell you, one, one man, one man... Um, was the source and the engine for this witch hysteria. His name, uh, his initial name was King James VI of Scotland, but then after the death of Elizabeth I, he becomes King James I of England in 1603. James, to put it bluntly, James was convinced that witches were trying to kill him. James thought uh, as the King of Scotland, he was convinced that there was there were plots against his life constantly, which there probably were. He was a Renaissance king. But he was convinced that those were primarily the work of witches. Specifically, it started in 1590 when James thought uh, he and his Danish bride, Anne, uh, were were voyaging across the North Why'd Sea. Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. It's just the way... We, the Do old... you have something against Danes or Anne's? <laughs> no, it's his just... His uh... Danish bride, Anne... Just we get all this information about James. This and we don't get Danish Anne, you know what I mean. No, I don't. What the fuck do you have against Danish people named Anne? Go ahead. My derisiveness was toward the fact that this is all we're going to ever find out about Anne is those two those two modifiers. Meanwhile, we're going to learn the whole. We're going to hold. We're going to learn everything there is to know about uh, James. That's what you're. Okay. All right. So. Uh, uh, James and Anna had gotten married and they were coming back to Scotland across the North Sea. There was this da- very dangerous storm, this tempest that, that came up and almost uh, almost killed them at sea, almost killed the old king at sea. And James was convinced that a witch had done this, that witches had done this specifically to target him. He starts rounding up so-called witches and torturing them. And then, of course, the confessions start coming like gravy out of the out of the witches because they're being tortured and they just want to say the thing that's going to make the torture stop. So this witch named Agnes Sampson, supposed witch, confessed that a coven of witches was plotting James' destruction. She went a little too hard. I, I get it, Agnes. You're being tortured. You want it to end. But she created this whole storyline. James, uh, there's a coven of witches. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying. She Agnes's narrative. Agnes's narrative became the thing that James really latched onto because she said that there was a whole coven of witches that was that was plotting James' destruction, and they were working with Satan, and their whole goal was to bring down the Scottish uh, monarchy. Uh, James then James was like, "See, I told you." And then it really started to pick up from there. Um, James wrote a book on witchcraft called Demonology, where he spells out his whole theories about witches and this and that. And then when James becomes king of England. Uh, it is no surprise uh, that uh, Shakespeare's next play he writes is Macbeth because James not only became king of England, he became the patron of Shakespeare's uh, theater troupe. Uh, so, you know, they were called, uh, I can't remember what they were initially called, but they were called the King's Men later in life, right? It was like his, his yeah. theater troupe. Yeah, that's cool. That's because they were literally patronized by the king, King James. And so Shakespeare is like, you know, he's always writing for his patrons, baby. He's always writing for those patrons. Smart. Uh, he uh, is like, ooh, James is upset. James is obsessed with witches. I'm putting some fucking witches in Macbeth. Banger, right? yeah. yeah, so he, so the reason there are witches in Macbeth is literally because Shakespeare just wanted to, like, give James what, you know, like, basically, like, sort of, um, uh, I mean, and people have argued, and I think there is some, some sort of subtle under the surface, uh, uh, 
you know, satire of of witch hysteria and some some political critiques of James. But Shakespeare is also giving James what he wants, which is a scary portrait of witches who are deeply invested in like killing a king and and sort of shifting around uh, people in power as though they were chess pieces. Um, so the point that I'm trying to make here is that witchcraft uh, throughout history, when we see these examples of witch hysteria, whether it's in Scotland um, in the in the 16th and 17th century, whether it's the uh, Spanish Inquisition, uh, which I guess was more about heresy, but sort of, you know, neighboring adjacent thing. The Spanish Inquisition was not uh, overseen by the church, which is a, a common misconception. It was not overseen by the Catholic Church. It was overseen by the uh, country of Spain, by the monarchy of Spain. It was a state run a state-run inquisition that was that was uh, given blanket support by the Catholic Church, but was run by the state, much like James is the uh, head of state of England and is pursuing all these um, witch, witch executions. And the Salem witch trials also were all done through. It wasn't done by the church. It was all done through courts and, yeah, so and back like, off the church and lawyers and this and that. What I'm saying is that um, witch hunts and witch hysteria throughout history is one of these examples where the church and the state are completely united in their goals. So the church and the state work together in unison because the thing that they ultimately have in common is throughout history is the patriarchy, right? So that both of these institutions want uh, the sort of, you know, patriarchal nature of society to continue. And so they see, they find in witches in, in assertive, uh, uh, antisocial women. They find this is this ultimately is is the biggest threat to both of them. The threat that they both share, and so the state though helps the church out by turning witches throughout history, turning witches not just into like like you know uh, uh, spooky demons out in the forest, but turning them into political terrorists. This is literally what James is saying when he becomes king of England. He is saying the biggest threat to the crown, the biggest threat to society are witches. They're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to bring down parliament, right? It's not literally until Guy Fawkes uh, and the gunpowder plot that he shifts focus and starts going after the Catholics. Um, but until until he gets the, the Catholics as a scapegoat, he's literally won't shut up about witches. It's like if the president went on TV every day and was like, witches are trying to kill us all. Witches are the problem. We have to look out for witches. Witches are trying to, you know, are, are trying to blow up, uh, you know, uh, uh, buildings and they're trying to steal your children, this and that. Right. It's it's the origin of scapegoating. It's really the you know, one of the first one of the first classic examples of scapegoating. Um, but my point is, is that is that with the under the auspices of 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 the state, which has become more than just, you know, spooky demons, they become literal. They become sort of political actors. They become enemies to 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 the state and to the civic society itself um, and thus sort of justifying the need to crack down on them as hard as they get cracked down on so that you wouldn't have witch hunts throughout history, whether it's Salem or the Spanish Inquisition or um, or in Scotland and during this time period, you wouldn't have that without uh, the activities of the state um, acting in unison with the church. How am I doing? Great. I mean, just like so this is just the, the your anti-state. No, I'm just saying it's interesting that uh, we think of we think of, uh, you know, the Salem witch trials, et cetera, as these 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 sort of lost periods of history in which religion had run amok and everyone was, you know, uh, and and sort of the, 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 the church was had sort of infected everybody's minds. And that's true. But you wouldn't get the full sort of force of these witch hunts without the state acting in unison with the church and authorizing what it's doing and giving uh, uh, giving credence to its uh, ideology. Um, and because the state has a lot to gain from this as well. Right. The state. 
wants to maintain the patriarchy. The state wants essentially to maintain the same world. The church and the state benefit from the same world. So what I'm saying is that, you know, you have um, obviously in England in the Renaissance and obviously in Spain during the Inquisition, but in America from its inception, America is a theocracy. You know, there's never been a separation of church and state, because even if you have these sort of loopholes where the church and state sort of don't directly sort of intertwine, they share this ideology in common and they fuel each other's uh, per- pursuit of this uh, of this of this ideology. And witches provided this great sort of middle ground in Salem at that time period where the where the church and the state could come together around a common enemy. Um, that's ultimately my point. And if I if I, you know, and feel free to let me know in discord if, if maybe I didn't. <laughs> Uh, you know, if I kind of slipped up at certain points, I'm kind of figuring this stuff out as I go along. Okay. I'm trying to, you know, I did some research and now I'm kind of trying to impart some of that research and maybe, maybe, maybe some of it is, is, is off track, but that's, that's what I wanted to say about uh, the state and the church and, and witchcraft. The last point I want to make any questions, Joe. Nope. Oh, we're getting some spam in the chat. Oh, now we're hitting the big time. We're hitting the big time. <laughs> You're just like giving a big long speech about how like there was political, you know, uh, background to the to witch trials, and then you just no one's watching on Twitch, and you're just getting fucking spammed, just getting fucking fished. You're gonna click on it, your whole fucking identity is gonna be stolen. Just. The last thing I want to say yeah. about witchcraft, and this is specifically witchcraft in America, and this will get us into the, the witch. Um, so everybody knows about the Salem witch trials, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I found this quote by Cotton Mather that was very interesting. Um, and, you know, out of the, you know, you, you have a lot of different as the colonists are coming over and they're making Plymouth Bay and they're making Massachusetts Bay Colony. And we're getting sort of puritanism going and we're getting in that whole world going. The world of there's Cotton Mather. Did we show James before? That's okay. On Forever Dog Plus, you can check out a picture of Cotton Mather right now. <laughs> just uh, <laughs> just tossed up uh, for only $5 a month. You can look right now at a picture of Cotton Mather. Look at that hateful, that that mother, hateful old sourpuss. He looks like every piss hurts. So when you have these um, original colonists coming over, I think you have... You have uh, the sort of city on a hill colonists like John Winthrop who are coming over to form, you know, uh, and they're all coming for religious reasons. Everybody that's coming over is the most hardcore religious person you've ever encountered in your entire life. That's who's coming over to America, right? They're so hardcore religious that they don't fit into like the sort of like functional orthodoxy of the of the countries that they're they're coming from. Right. They are hardcore, visionary, religious, fundamentalist, et cetera, et cetera. So. I think out of that crew, you have the John Winthrop version, um, who he's the guy who came up with that, you know, city on a hill speech that that Reagan quoted, you know, so many years later. Um, and that was the original one, of the original governors of Massachusetts Bay Colony. And he has a very optimistic vision of this. It is, of course, anti-native and anti-indigenous. Uh, but in his phrasing, they are coming upon a sort of blank slate in America, right? They are coming upon a, a blank slate, a new Eden, a, a sort of uh, a, a, a boundless wilderness that has just been waiting for, for Christians to come and build a Christian Western society there. They're coming upon a blank slate. And in that world, he just sort of ignores the the, the indigenous populations, right? There, there is sort of an inconvenience to his vision of what America is supposed to be. And as, the sooner they can kind of get out of the way, the better. Uh, but he has a very very sort of this sort of optimistic, we're going to come here, we're going to build a a bright shining city on a hill, there'll be an example for everybody. But there was this other wing of the colonists like Cotton Mather, uh, who 
wanted to accomplish the same thing. They wanted to build a Christian utopia in America. They wanted to build a new Eden, a new Jerusalem. But for him, it was not a blank slate. For Cotton Mather, it was going to be a battle between good and evil, a battle between uh, the, the, the uh, European Christianity that they were bringing, Protestantism, uh, Puritanism, and an ancient evil that existed in America before they got there. Cotton Mather has this quote, and we can throw Cotton Mather back up while I, while I read this quote. He said, The New Englanders are a people of God settled in those which were once the devil's territories. And it may easily be supposed that the devil was exceedingly disturbed when he perceived such a people here accomplishing the promise of old made unto our blessed Jesus, that he should have the utmost parts of the earth for his possession. So for Cotton Mather, he's not, he wants the same goals everybody else to build a Christian utopia, but he's coming into this as a battle between good and evil, that America is full of these uh, indigenous tribes, people here before, and even ancient or evils beyond that. He has this whole mythology of America as being sort of possessed by the devil and possessed by paganism. And so Amer- so the, the, the colonists that are coming are going to have to actively, actively um, you know, create their society through violence and through subjugation and through colonialism and by uh, eradicating this evil that was there before them. Um, and this is where this is the kind of thinking. Cotton Mather is one of the sort of architects of the Salem witch trials. This is where you get the Salem witch trials and the witch hysteria uh, in New England at that time. You can take off Cotton Mather now, Brian. I think we've seen. <laughs> I think we've seen. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and this is what I wanted to uh, sort of transition to the witch is that. Um, this is sort of the thinking that gets you the Salem witch trials is that there is this sort of ancient evil lurking in the wilderness of America, lurking in the woods of America, that the devil was here before us and we have to drive him out. And for many people, that will mean um, that will mean the indigenous tribes of America. Later on, they're going to use a very a lot of Christian uh, American Christian leaders are going to use a very similar uh, argument uh, as to why slavery is a necessity. Um, and so it is It is um, this sort of antagonist view of white European colonialism. Um, and uh, in order for that ideology to survive, though, it needs witches. It needs scapegoats. It needs this constant supply of evil in order to demonstrate its point that there is evil here that we have to be better than and we have to eradicate. And so the witches and 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 the Salem witch trials and the and and the scapegoating of witches was essentially coming out of this mentality of America is a battle. American colonialism is a battle between good and evil. It is not a blank slate. It is not just you roll up and you build your city on a hill. It is a battle between good and evil. And that is the battle that gives us the background of Robert Eggers, the witch. Which came out in 2016. Subtitle, A New England Folktale, which I want to come back to, uh, written and directed by Robert Eggers, uh, one of A24's uh, kind of earlier films, one of their first horror films. They, of course, have become one, you know, one of the distinct voices in American cinema uh, and in American horror cinema with things like Hereditary and Midsummer and so on and so forth. Um, Joe, you want to give us a summary of The Witch? Sure. The Witch, like Brett saying, takes place in colonial New England and a family is too puritanical or too hardcore or they see god a different way than their colony and they are banished from the colony so a family of uh, five or six five they take they pack up their cart and they roll out and they move to the woods 
Then in the woods, long story short, there's Anya Taylor-Joy. She plays like the young girl. There's her little brother. She plays Thomason. Then there's her little brother who has, you know, the beginnings of the hots for his sister because he's a little boy and she's the only girl around. Then there's two twins that are mean and they love Black Phillip the goat. And then there's a mom and a dad and they're trying to survive in the colonial wilderness. Um, One day, Anya Taylor-Joy is playing with the little tiny baby and she peekaboos him and he's disappeared. That leads the family to fall apart, to melt down, to turn on each other, to accuse her of being a witch, of being a seducer. And she um, kind of denies it and kind of denies it. And then uh, the whole family gets... Uh, tears themselves apart and kills everybody and they all die and Anya Taylor-Joy goes off with Black Phillip to become a witch. No respect for the 60-second time limit. I'm sorry. But an excellent synopsis. Um, Joe, you, you've seen The Witch before this viewing, right? I have. Okay. What was um, what this viewing of The Witch, what did you think? What did you like? What was, what was your overall it. impression? I remembered, the, it, the witch. I remembered it fonder than I remember when I watched it the first time. I mean, I liked it the first time, too. People love the witch. People are like people are gaga over the witch. And, you know, this time when I watched it, I see why this is a well-made, well-written, technically um, well-crafted, excellently told, excellently acted story that has unique scares. Um, a real uh, tone, a real point of view. It also really plays with the whole is she, is she not a witch? Does she, does she know she's not a witch sort of um, excitement? And so many films, you know, Eggers has a distinct style that so many motherfuckers cop. You know what I mean, Brett? Yep. Large, wide shots of the woods with ominously toned uh, witchy noises. Like, I feel like I he, people do this all the time ever since The Witch. Like, shooting the cold woods wide is so, like, standard, creepy, flat, digital horror fare. But Eggers, not so. A true master of his craft here. He's making these images pop. They are gorgeous. They are beautiful. He knows just how long to linger. He knows when to cut. Um, He really sets up a shot gorgeously. Um, And this movie is uh, scary in a bunch of unique and beautiful ways. And the script is really good. They do an old English thing, but it never feels um, understandable. And it also never feels hokey. In fact, it adds to the scares. When Black Phillip finally at the end is talking when the devil finally talks to Anya Taylor-Joy spoiler alert at the end of the film he says some uh, old Englishy lines with some old Englishy stuff it scared the ever-living shit out of me uh, scarier than if he said anything more m- modern I thought the whole movie was um was was very effective with great performances and I was really Brett when I watched it this time I was just yeah. like really impressed it's the first film I mean, for a first yeah. film to have, I mean, we've watched some distinctive and exciting first films on this podcast, including including David Lynch's Eraserhead, which is obviously has a strong point of view and someone who's going to become a master. And we watched Aronofsky's Pie, which has a lot of um, youthful excitement and a lot of creative confidence. But man, Eggers is directing like this is like a sixth fucking film. Like this guy yeah. lays down a fucking gauntlet. He sets a tone. He sets a tone for the A24 studio. He sets a tone for auto horror uh, for the next decade and I, I i walked away from this film thinking man i've been thinking a less 
I don't know why I thought a little bit less of this film for the past six years. Yeah, or whatever. I think the reason yeah, is really something. I had a I had a similar reaction. It was much better than I thought of. I, I knew it was good, but it was. I, I, I totally it, remember like I, that's I, a good movie. I thought but, it was yeah. very very good on this rewatch, and I think the reason why is because I don't think he's um, made a better movie since. I think this no, is still not. his best movie, um, and particularly because of a lot of the reasons you're saying that his, you know, his style is always on point. He's, he's really a master of style, but in the witch, he, in the, the witch, he, uh, he, uh, the style is still, um, working in unison with the story really effectively in a way that I don't, I like, I think, um, in the lighthouse and definitely in the Northmen, uh, the style starts to sort of become this like runaway train and the, it sort of is like the story can't really keep up with it. Um, and, uh, particularly in the Northmen, I think, I think just that like a lot of beautiful set pieces in the Northmen, I just don't, uh, I found the plot and the characters really uninteresting and I have no idea why he needed the Hamlet sort of template because he's not telling a Hamlet story, you know, at all. Um, uh, but here in, in the witch, I thought the, the story served the style served the story and the story served the style. And the two things uh, worked really well in unison. Um, everything you said about style is exactly correct. I love that. He sort of, he doesn't do jump scares. He does these sort of like slide, these like slither scares, like, like characters will just sort of like slide into frame slowly. And it's like so much, or they'll kind of just slowly come into focus from like a black background mm-hmm. or in the woods. And it's whether it's the witch or whether it's black Phil, at the end, there's such a sort of like, Ah, uh, there's just such this like, this like slower horror to it, where it's just sort of your it's hypnotic, but effective. It's hypnotic. It is exactly. scary. It's fucking is, scary. Which is the goal. I mean, these are you know the witch and Black Philip are are you know master seducers. They are trying yep. to like seduce to their to 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 the dark side, um, and so having the jump scares would be counterproductive. Where they are, they like the way they just sort of slide into frame is so is so effective, um, and very scary. Um, I want to go ahead, please. And while there might not be, there are some jumpy scares, but while there might not be always jump scares, sometimes there's very effective editing that these sort of smash cut images that really um, distress and off put you. For instance, that one when it smashes to uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's mother um, laughing as a crow pecks her breast off. Wild. Um yeah just like really great stuff or how it sort of I love that cut really early in the beginning he sets up the whole entire world world of this film expertly in four minutes I was like thank you motherfucker four minutes like act one's four minutes yeah long. and a couple details and, about the like structure of the, of the story that I want to look at um because uh, you mentioned this in your synopsis and it's it's so fascinating to me is that the the family the family it, it's sort of like ostensibly a battle between puritan christianity and the witch but not really because the family themselves are in exile from the puritan colony right the puritan colony exiles this family because they are too like hardcore christian or at least the dad is right um and i assume as their conversations as his conversations with his son develop i think it's maybe his like feelings on predestination where he's hardcore Calvin he has a very hard line on predestination where he believes that essentially like God has decided who is good and who is evil and he already knows who's going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it and you just sort of you just sort of live in that in that um in that uh world that God has created that you're either good or bad and that's all there is to it uh, and you don't know which one is which um but if you're good you also have to like be good 
in addition to just being inherently good, you also have to like act good. So you sort of act as though you're one of the good ones, but you might not be. You might already be doomed to hell. So he has a very extreme sort of eschatology and a very extreme approach to religion. So extreme that he gets kicked out of the Puritan colony of New England, which you got to be pretty, you got to be pretty uh, hardcore Christian at that point to get kicked out of the Puritan colony. So they are also exiles from from uh, the the sort of the the main religion and the, and the state that I was referring to in that kind of organism, they are also exiles from it. Um, and we are, this almost feels like a, the prehistory of the Salem witch trials. Cause I was the, the uh, uh, Eggers, I think places this like in the early 1600s, early 17th century, which would be, you know, a while about 50 years before the Salem witch trials. So this feels like kind of early prehistory of, of what will become the, the sort of dynamics of the Salem witch trials. I also want to look at, the use of the word uh, folktale and the, the subtitle of this movie is, and I'm not gonna lie. I usually hate movies with subtitles. It's like, just put it like, you know, bird, bird man. Come on, man. We don't need Come to, on, what, what is that? What is that? I'm Mardo? already, I'm already out Come of on, it. Dog. Um, uh, but in this, I, I think this subtitle is actually useful um, in terms of framing what you're seeing in the movie. The, the subtitle is a new England folktale um, because I wonder throughout the movie, how much of this is, um, real how much of it is uh, is things that the characters are actually experiencing or how much uh, of it is the things that would be told in folktales this is like this is sort of the matter of folklore is what we're seeing and we're seeing it in a very realistic way so it all feels real but in the title eggers is sort of asking you to think like to what extent am i watching sort of the content of what will become the folklore of this community. Um, and I think that's kind of what I, I settled on. It's not it's not folklore per se, because it's too visceral and real and character driven, but it is sort of like the the matter of folk of folklore that will become the folklore of this of this town in this area. Um, and I think not until the end, and that's why I think, I mean, we'll have to talk about the end, but I think that's what's so stunning about the end shot when Thomason joins the coven and floats up into the air under the influence of the devil and or Black Philip or whatever, um, that at that point, sort of um, myth and reality have sort of combined, folklore and reality have combined into one thing, that that character's drives and goals are at one with the folklore. And so the two things become one. So there's like realism and folklore together in that final scene. It's like, the it's which I think is what, he's been wanting to do all along with like the lighthouse and the Northman. This is his thing is to take sort of Viking mythology and sort of old sea salt mythology, like take these sort of very, like very old, old, old sort of mythos and, and aesthetics and, and, and sort of bring them into the language of modern over contemporary cinema. Um, and I think this is the movie that we've got a lot of lighthouse stands in the audience. I got to go back and watch the lighthouse again. I think really, really, I'm going to say the Northman just did not, was not it for me. And so I think that kind of, um, affected my view of Eggers. Um, but now rewatching the, the witch, I mean, he's got it. He's got, he's got the goods. The, the, the witch is so good. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that sort of the line between what is sort of real and what is sort of uh, uh, folklore or myth, I think he's asking you to sort of like consider how, consider what that line is and consider how it sort of evolves throughout the movie. Um, because I think you could argue that like, there are things like, you know, when the kid chokes up the apple, like here's that is such a great thing to me because like you will read accounts you know you read james king james's demonology i'm sure he has accounts in that book of like shit like that happening do you think that that has ever happened in real life 
right? That someone choked up like a full apple under the influence of witchcraft. I'm going to say I don't think that has ever happened. I'm sorry. I don't think that's ever happened. But it is a story that gets told as though it has happened. And then the belief in that story influences real world events. So us seeing it happen in the movie, I think is like, that's like the stuff of folklore, the stuff of the stuff of like local legend, um, the kind of stories that get told at the Salem witch trials. So I think Eggers is sort of saying like, I don't, I don't think he's saying that it's like, it's happening really, but he's like sort of, he's just sort of like giving you the most realistic version of folklore that's ever like been given where it has none of the feel of folklore has all the feel of realism, but it is the tales and the narratives that exist in folklore. Yeah, and he did a lot of, apparently a lot of research for yeah. the film where he like, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's trying to sort of pull from some of the most popular strains of American uh, witch lore and put them in a really engrossing and well-written narrative that really works as one cohesive, cohesive piece. But you're right. He does bring up all these beautiful elements um, and like these little tales um, from from witchcraft, like that that apple Black Philip, blood coming out of the udders, um, uh, so 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 many. It's also um, as much as it's about all that, like any good witch story, it's also about um, female sexuality yeah. and uh, virginity and and religion and and how the father is female dealing agency. with his yeah. uh, young daughter becoming a woman, right? Whatever the, you know, have, having her period, right? Becoming a woman and how how that to deal with that and how uh, the sort of young women were used in society uh, back then, which is like very effective. Um, but at the same time, like so many American films, like ultimately sort of uh, sexless and abstracted. And then when I watched Thirst, I was like, oh, right. Like the real uh, gravity of um, of sex, not uh, sort of abstracted or sort of gestured to like the wimpy American um, cinema uh, but but regardless, still like interesting and powerful. But ultimately, I feel like the one thing that I would say against The Witch, which is like a really excellent, confident film, is that um, because of its sort of ethereal beauty, it provides a sort of like distant abstraction where Brett's right, because it, it's not really telling this this 100% true story or narrative. It is a collection of concepts and ideas from the time period working as that. But there seems to be... Um, be because of what I love about the movie is also what I don't like about the movie. Sort of it's, it's, you know, the distance it sort of creates because of its, of its beauty. Um, it doesn't feel necessarily immediate. It feels sort of, um, uh, I don't know, dr not, not quite dreamlike, but it feels, yeah. it feels like an old story. It does, yeah. you know, yeah. it feels like an old story. And I feel like that is why it sort of loses its 100% of its teeth is because it's a beautiful abstraction and not sort of um, like a hard hitting, um, you know, like the craft really, in my opinion, had more like things to say. Eggers is like, here's some things that um, are very interesting, told beautifully. And of course, there's things to say. And it's a very interesting movie. But um it's not really what it I don't know it's, no, I, it, I know it doesn't really a hundred percent like yeah. land on you like a like a brick there's a couple of uh, yeah th th there is a little bit of feeling at the end of the vich like that uh, the plane isn't being like a hundred percent landed um but 
There's also it's gorgeous. He, he finds no, it's and I'm not scary never doing that. Like, no, but getting that, into but... like, but but I think Edgar's big struggle is like landing the story and landing the themes. Um, and because he's such in, a technic, in... he's such, so technical. It's like we talked about Cassavetti. Sorry, Brett. I'm just like, you know, it's like a whole Cassavetti's thing where it's like Eggers is making beautiful shots and he is successful and the editing is successful and the acting is successful. But be, because they're just, it, it is very technically beautifully crafted. That it there does lack a sense of. Of a realism that sort of makes it less scary, um, as beautiful and uh, um, interesting as the scares are. He does. I will say, like to go back to the Northman. The Northman is a good example of him not finding what he's looking for thematically. Like he, like I think he was l- looking for a f- to, to sort of land a few planes thematically, and he just never lands them. He never finds them. There's just there really is the Northman to me is like has some stunning sequences. Is is gorgeous overall is a very cool movie aesthetically um but uh just ultimately has nothing to say sort of thematically or, or character wise that, that's interesting to me um because all it's saying everything it does end up saying is is like too rooted in this ancient mythology because what it ultimately is saying is things about like lineage and thing. i'm like i don't give a fuck about lineage like 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 you old in the witch though like he finds some things that i think no, have some more resonance for one for, million for this percent. audience and the one one thing in particular that i really thought was well done was the relationship between the father and his children and particularly the relationship between father and 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 thomason um uh because the dad this is ultimately their despair in this movie. All the things that go wrong with them is it's really a story of the dad's failure as a patriarch, right? As like an old school 17th century patriarch where your job is to, you know, provide for the family and their safety and this and that, right? He uh he's the one that gets them kicked out of the colony because he's too he's too religious. He's too religious for the Puritans. He refuses to compromise on that stuff. He gets them kicked out. And then in the wilderness, he's like, Don't worry, I know how to farm, I know how to provide, I know how to grow food. He ends up not being able to do any of that effectively. So they are out in the wilderness because of him, and then they are now starving because of him. But he keeps insisting that he can fix the situation. And that's what leads him to steal this prized possession from his wife and then barter that with some other people passing through. And that gets them enough to kind of get by for the moment. But it's not a long term play because now he's given up their most prized possession. And then he has to he lies about it to his wife. He literally blames it on his daughter, on Thomason, which only uh, increases everyone's suspicion that Thomason is is evil or is under the influence of a witch. Um, And then. When Thomason, Thomason is finally the one that speaks truth to power. She looks at her dad uh, after everything is really going terribly um, and uh, the witch is sort of closing in on them and the evil forces are closing in them on them. And she she looks at her dad and she tells him all the things we've all wanted to tell him all movie, which is like, you fucked up. You uh, you don't know how to farm <laughs> you like, but you won't admit it. You can't like your pride is killing. Your pride has brought us out here and your pride is like killing this family because you just can't admit that you're not like the big patriarch that you want to be. And what you should have done all along is swallow your pride, get us back into town and get it, get a job in town. And then we can all survive in the town where everybody's safe. But your pride did not allow that to happen. But at this point, the witch narrative where all the family has sort of conspired together in different ways to paint Thomason as a witch that has, that narrative has developed so much that the father 
his only response to her is fuck you you're a witch we can't trust anything you're saying so by the time the moment when like the truth the speak truth the power moment finally comes the witch narrative has developed so much that he has like it's too late for anybody to listen to the truth the power because now everyone is under the hysteria of thinking that thomason is a witch and that's all they all want to think about so i thought that move was so well executed and so interesting um about how witch hunts and witch hysteria work that it is ultimately it is an instrument that you can wield against uh, a woman in the society who is exercising too much agency and specific, specifically who is calling out the hypocrisies of the patriarchy in this case it's a very small patriarchy it's just this one guy but uh in calling out those hypocrisies the by having the the witch thing you don't have to confront any of the truth about yourself you don't have to confront the fact that you're a fucking loser and you and you like ruined your family and took them out into the wilderness because you couldn't swallow your pride you can just say that your daughter is an evil witch under the influence of satan and then that's that and then everything is done uh, and then all the focus is on thomason um now that being said sorry go ahead no I want to say that the one thing that I um, and there's some good questions in the chat. We'll circle back on some of these questions in a second. Um, the one thing that I think could have been done better and look for a first movie, fucking knocked out. Come on. There's so much good about this. Come movie. on. It's really, really good. If you haven't seen it for a while, this movie's it's awesome, very good. Man. The one thing that I think I, I, I think could have been executed better is um, Thomason, Anya Taylor's Joy's character. um, ultimately feels like the least three-dimensional character and ultimately to me feels like a one of these characters who is being used primarily to like hit themes as the movie goes along there's being primarily used as an instrument to develop the themes of the movie um but they themselves are not given as much character development as i would like to see um uh whereas you know even like there's like the the um uh literally every other character even the little kids have like weird little moments. Uh, the mom, Kate, uh, Kate Dickey as Catherine, um, who also was in, uh, man, Kate Dickey, Hollywood loves giving her weird breastfeeding scenes. I, right. Uh, she's also the, the queen, uh, in game of Thrones who lives above the moon door and has the, like the 12 year old son who she breastfeeds. Yeah. Um, you're so right. Kate Dickey is phenomenal actor. Um, is so Hollywood's scariest breastfeeder. Uh, and she has, um, she's got a moment in this, uh, an incredible scene in, in the, in the witch where she talks about wanting to go back to England. Um, yeah, she's and good, it's man. heartbreaking. She's a great actor. And again, you see the dad being, and it's like, everything is just being like, all this could so end. Good. It's not the witch dude. It's you. All this could end. If you just get this fucking family back into town and then like say, Definitely. you know, that all could end. Sorry. Go the witch is real. No, the witch is real. In the movie. The witch no, is real. Brett is right, and that's what the movie is actually yes. about. But just for fun. Yeah. The witch is also she real. She is a witch, and it is real. It's fun. So the one thing, so to go back to this point, I think Annie Taylor-Joy's character, Sorry, Tom, yeah. is I, I, ultimately I, I, there I, to convince sort of me, connect I'm the dots of the plot. So far. Because um, there is... yeah. What, the, what, the, the, the point what? at which I realized it, the point Tell at which me. I realized it was um, when... Black Phillip shows up. So so Anya Taylor Joy's character essentially survives the the chaos of the of the witch, right? Um uh Black Phillip kills uh, her dad. She has to kill her mom because her mom attacks her in a frenzy and and blames her for the death of all of her children. So she has to kill her mom. 
Uh, the two uh, other young kids disappear. Presumably the witch has taken them off. Um, and so she is the only one that's left. And then she goes to talk to Black Phillip. Um, and I do, I like this turn, the turn of like, this uh, of, awesome. the, of the thing that, the thing that you were scapegoating me as is going to end up being the thing that actually provides my salvation or provides some sort of yeah, meaning for awesome. me. Um, but on my own terms, not in the way that you were telling, saying that I was doing it, but on my own terms, I'm going to find, you know, by, by, you're so afraid of me being a witch that you have pushed me into uh, witchcraft as my only way out of your bullshit. I like that. But again, I, that's why I feel like her character is just sort of is, 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 is a piece that is moving along these, this, this thematic arc. Um, and the, the, the moment that I realized that was when black Phillip shows up. And the first thing he asks Annie Taylor's joy's character is what do you want? He says to her and he says, what do you want? Like that. Yeah, it's, really good. it's very cool. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know what? I have no fucking clue what uh, what what this character wants. Um, and on the one hand, that's fine. She is a, literally a a teenager living in in the fu- in, in the craziest fucking environment in the world. Um, you know, it's it's a day to day survival between the extreme religion and the extreme circumstances and the witch running around killing her siblings. Um, so it's fair to assume that it's, it's intentional that, that up until that moment, she hasn't thought about what do I want? Um, but when then it comes to the, the, the real line that I know Eggers wanted to hit so hard and look, it's a great line in isolation. Um, would you like to live deliciously? Right. Uh, like he says, would you like butter? Would you like a new dress? Would you like to live deliciously? It's a very cool line. Yeah. It's sick. It doesn't hit as hard as it could possibly hit because the person it's being said to, I, there's nothing in the way that he's developed that character for that line really to like hit in the way that it could have hit. Um, it hits as like a sure, we'd all like butter and a new dress and to live deliciously. But for this character, um, uh, herself she like compared to the craft our mainstream movie of the week she definitely does not have the character dimensions or development of the of the leads in the craft um and i just don't think that that enough is done with Anya taylor's joy because look here's why i think you can you might it's a great performance by her phenomenal performance first movie insane that that's her first movie and phenomenal performance the themes that she is being used to sort of elucidate are very interesting, like what I just said with her dad. But she herself as a character does not have like I one or two moments earlier on that would really make that would you like to live deliciously line pay off for me. Um, and you could argue that that's just based on the the sort of the realities of the plot, that she is someone who's literally just sort of fighting for her life and for a baseline of sanity and sort of recognition from her crazy parents. She's fighting for a very just sort of basic survival. And so uh, maybe there's just not time for those moments that I'm, but I, I, what I'm saying is, and look, this is like literally the only thing that I would, that I would, that I would like to see like different about the movie is just maybe a little bit more done with her character, less of just sort of like a functionary to sort of hit certain themes so that when black Phillip comes, like just like some surprises from the character, the character doesn't do anything that's like surprising to me or that's a little sort of off or different. And that makes you look at them in a different way. And well, something what about that the part the... when she yells at her dad and like tears him down so clearly and viscerally like that really was like, that really did feel different. I, I, I hear, I think you are I think you're definitely like I I know what you're saying I feel what you're saying perhaps she could have been more lived in I do feel like maybe the dad is a bit tiny bit more lived in and even her younger brother has uh, like a 
richness to his character. And I I do know what you mean in the sense that she is a little bit more distant and not as developed. I do think it's a little bit of the thing where part of the fun of the movie is, is she or is she not a witch? So you don't want to give away too much. Yes, that's so true. That's like that's part true. of that's it. True. But also on the other part of it, I think that Anya Taylor-Joy, to her credit, does a lot of filling in the blanks. I think she really does make it exciting because I really, I really watched her character realize not only am I first it's like of course I'm not a witch but she does it without without saying it of course I'm not a witch then she's like me am I a witch oh no and then it's I'm a, I'm a witch I don't want this and then it's I'm a witch I do want this and I feel like she has that sort of arc um, and I think that she really fills it up. And I do think there's a couple scenes that really, I think really, especially in act three, she, we really start getting her more, um, uh, alive and full. I think the whole movie is, is sparse and sort of absent and sort of distant in a, in a, in a, uh, artistic way. Yeah. But ultimately though, Brett, I think that what you're saying is exactly Part of the reason I'm saying I feel a little distance from the film in, in its punch because perhaps you you are right. I didn't really think of it that way because I thought that the acting was so good. And I kind of – and you're not suggesting this, but I like when we kind of have to fill in some blanks ourselves. Yeah. And I think if there was a, a scene of her like eating a little cake and then her mom being like, no cake on Sundays. It's the yeah. Lord's Day. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I just want to eat a piece of cake. And you'd be like, all right. You're right. We got. You're right. You know, so it's like I'm sure, look, I'm sure there would have been a better version of that. But I think you're onto something, but I guess I'm also pushing back yeah. and saying – that's sort of the vibe of the film and maybe that's what's but you're saying that's what kind of what's good and kind of what's bad about it yeah you know? I, I think that's my I, I i think maybe it's just sort of a necessary limitation of the film to tell the story that he wants to tell because i do understand why it's done that way because again just to you know it, it's a character who has who doesn't you 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 see her you, basically you like you see her go from like zero to sixty and it's a character whose agency has been the whole point of the family is to suppress this character's agency to suppress this character's independence to suppress her um, to sort of make her fall in line with the family dynamic as much as possible uh, and so the character is like actively suppressed throughout the movie and then goes in terms of like agency and discovering herself goes from like zero to 60 at the very end of the movie. And so I think it's just sort of, it, that's just the story that Eggers wants to tell. Um, uh, I just think with some of the other characters, um, uh, when, she come, when she comes back from being lost in the woods, she's yeah. like changed. Yeah. And that's sort of, so it's like, it's almost like zero to 10 and then like 10 to 60 is what I'm saying. Like, I do feel like there is some attempt at, um, some some things that change her like there's that whole like blackout we don't really understand what's yeah. happening with her in the yeah. woods and she comes back and she is more interested in sort of allowing herself to be a witch and she almost never yells I'm not a witch she's yelling sort of around I'm not a witch because she's so tortured by this herself I'm not saying it's a perfectly developed character and everything worked I'm just saying that um, sometimes the uh you know, abstractedness or sort of the, her, her journey did feel more lived into me perhaps, but ultimately the fact that I didn't really be able to connect with her or any of the characters is sort of leaving that tiny little I, hole in my I, heart. Yeah. This film is expertly made and it is a really good movie. Like this movie's awesome. This movie's scary. This movie's interesting and unique. It isn't your good old fashioned modern 2022, a24 sort of half the acidness. This is starting a thing and I love this movie, but there definitely is just little tiny um, holes in it. Yeah. Like, like any movie. Yeah. Like, I like think the my final, like the final thing I would say about it is I think 
I think it's I think what it is is that like Eggers knows that he needs this character for a specific function at the end of the movie. And he also I think you're right. I think he also does want to maintain some um maintain some ambiguity about right. her connection to the evil forces whatever that surround her uh, Black Philip and the witch etc. So I think I think in trying to maintain an ambiguity and then in trying to sort of preserve her for the role that he has for that character at the end of the movie um joining becoming not the victim of the coven but joining the the coven and floating into the sky having this moment of for the first time living deliciously of living living in her own skin comfortably and confidently without you know outside I mean, can you imagine the relief like to me that that I I really love I was kind of wondering like how is that end shot going to hit this time it hit great the 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 the, the shot of someone who has just been so so constrained by their parents and their religion and their society to the point that they're just they're just like suffocating under the weight of it all and they're just literally she has to like scream i'm not a witch to her parents like over and over again like they're just like suffocated by all of these constraints um literally lit naked lifting into the sky surrounded by other witches like the feeling of like sort of freedom and like and there's a little bit of like a um i caught a little bit of a like graduate ending too where like she you know famously in the graduate like there's there like it ends on it it, it's it looks like it's going to end on this moment of exhilaration but then the characters start to like realize the reality of what they've done uh they've blown up their lives and they're kind of like oh boy it doesn't go quite that far but there's a little bit of something at the end there where she's like she's feeling like like exhilarated and free, but then also like, oh, but what am I now gotten myself into? So there's a great sort of like, I, I like that tiny hint of like, you know, it's not a like, if it was just pure elation, I think it would have been a little bit of a false epiphany, but there's a, a little bit of a suggestion of like, maybe she's just traded one patriarchy for another, or maybe she's just now under another force that is going to have its own sort of like constraints. Like there's a little bit there's, but it's, but that doesn't take away from the mo- that first moment of her just lifting off the ground. That is like such a moment of just pure, I think, like joy and exhilaration and catharsis for her after what she's gone through with this fucking family. Um, so I guess what I'm ultimately saying is that this is just what the movie is doing. And so to, to sort of maybe do more building in- with Thomas and early on would ruin some of the mystery around her and would not make the ending as effective so i guess i'm i you know i'll i'll retract that point it was something yeah, i was just sort of exploring no, I, think I, I, like, under, yeah. I think i think you're probably like right i'm just what yeah. i'm just trying to figure out where and when that yeah that would be because i was watching the film thinking i really do like her character yeah um because he builds so much more fragility into the other and humanity and other he, characters the, the mom the dad they ultimately sort you're of like right about they can they ultimately like confess all of their deep like like for people who are sort of like you're right like re- very religious you would expect them to be a little more tight-lipped they ultimately just tell you all of their deepest fears they confess everything they say why they're sad they say why this and this good. Um, good movie. uh but i think he knows that they're all gonna die and so it, it's almost their sort of final you know he gives them a sort of final you know words or something before they get sacrificed by the by the movie whereas he needs thomason to be different than that and so I think his his the You're way he's not wrong, yeah. Brett. Okay. You are okay. not wrong. Okay. No, I you are right. I just need to kind of like sit with your point, maybe rewatch the film. If I ever can, actually. Well, yeah, right. It's I honestly don't Joe, yeah. I have no idea what's yeah. about to happen. All right, folks. I think we're beating around the bush here because we're afraid. We're afraid that I'm we're terrified. never going to be Speaking able to watch fear. the craft or be able to watch the witch ever again. Brett, I want to do what something. What is the better movie? What is the better Which movie? Which one did you like more? Which one was the better um, movie? 
if you can chat uh, let's take the temperature of the chat one if yeah. you're in our position come on chat one film has to go in the can and one has to go in the trash can start shouting it out what do you got let's start showing our cards everybody everybody we'll, we'll, we will show we have to show our cards you gotta write which you gotta write craft what's it gonna be start Where, if you're at home if you're cutting up that zucchini, if you're on a bike, if you're walking, if you're doing the dishes in your head, which one did you like more, the witch or the craft? We got craft, we got craft, And we remember, got two you can never watch the other one ever again, but that can't influence your pick. The only thing you got to tell us is what movie was better, which one did you like more? Chat is blowing up. Brett, what's the chat saying? Witch, uh, craft, witch, no, craft. No, we got four for the craft, zero for the witch right now. Zero for the witch. Brian, talk to me, brother. We got one producer uh, vote for the witch. Okay, Brian's a witch guy. Okay, witch Brian's guy. a witch guy. Okay, Brett, do you want to go we first? For the, we, got, all right, we got one for the witch in the chat. Do, do you want to go? Um, yeah, here's what, what I'm going to say ultimately. Um, the the witch to me, I, I, I again, I think it's a, a phenomenal movie. Um, I think it is, um, I think it might be A24's, you know, best horror movie. I mean, what else are we talking about? Hereditary, Midsummer. Um, yeah, those are good movies. Uh, Isn't Get Out a twenty four? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, there's it's, never, it's, it's, it's po- pointless to even even rank them. Yeah, so um, I, I think it's one of the best a twenty four horror movies. I think it's Egger's best movie. Um, I think it is a really. Um, I think it is it, it is it is the the best execution of what he's trying to do as a director, which is to sort of breathe life, breathe new life into folklore. Find the sort of uh, a lot of the sort of human element in folklore without but without sacrificing the folklore without 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 saying oh it's not real um oh this is all just sort of there's no magic in the world he's maintaining he's like what if the premise of folklore remained true how could i still find these sort of human elements to it and tell this human story that is that resonates with a contemporary audience and the the witch i think he really nails that he he tells a story that um, I think has a lot of nuance to it. The, like we've discussed the different character relationships, the dad sort of failures and the way all of these sort of personal failures and personal sort of feelings about religion and things get funneled into scapegoating the daughter that becomes everyone's sort of sole focus. It's a really great um, uh, uh, dissection of, of how a witch hunt develops, what the sort of energy of it is, what the sort of motivating factors of it is, where it comes from. Because um, they didn't like, I like too that like nobody, there was no like, you know, like you, you didn't get like the Nosferatu, like, you know, at the at the tavern scene. You, you didn't get any scenes where they're like, there's a witch out in the woods. Like, like they didn't know there was a witch. Nobody seemed to know there was a witch out in the woods. This is again, this is very like pre Salem witch trials. This is early, early, early on. So I liked that like the witch sort of uh presents itself as a as a it appears as sort of a threat but they don't conceptualize it they don't say the word witch they don't conceptualize it as a witch until they need the concept of a witch in order to scapegoat in order they need an evil thing with a name that's when they start saying witch right because then that suddenly is a unifying principle for all, for all these things they don't want to face which is their own personal failures and 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 regrets and things like that and as i'm saying it man this is really a phenomenal movie it's a very good movie with a lot of layers how about all it. the stuff with like the kids in hell he's burning in hell and there's nothing they can do about it and yep. try to hide it from the family. I mean, really great scary, stuff. Good stuff. Really great stuff. Um, but I will say, there is something to, there is some unique magic. I felt it with Weekend at Bernie's. Um, I felt it. There is something uniquely uh, magical about when a, like, when, when, like, a movie can, like, have 
that the nuance of an art house movie can have a sort of dangerous aesthetic to it, which we which we associate with an art house movie, can take some chances, which we associate with an art house movie, but then also like build a pop culture phenomenon that like that like spans decades in terms of people being interested in it and finding interesting things in it. The the way that like the 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 craft surprised me with its nuance at the level of character, at the level of character relationships, at the level of um, uh, uh, female relationships, uh, at the level of, um, uh, uh, of like, you know, just, it does without the witchcraft. Is this, it, this could have been like a kitchen sink drama and it would have been fascinating about like this, about like sort of the various struggles of these, of these, of these young people at this time in their lives. Um, but when you throw the witchcraft aspect on it, the, the innovative use of witchcraft, the, the way that it's sort of, I mean, I think in many ways, probably, I mean, I, I don't know of any other examples, but like introduced uh, kind of uh, mainstream America to like sort of uh, Wiccanism and like and sort of like contemporary paganism and all of these strands that had been developing in paganism and witchcraft uh, and sort of like quietly sort of like like um, uh, building it. Uh, this movie sort of introduces the the, the world to that world um, and uh, and if I'm wrong on that, please let me know. I just cannot think of another movie like mainstream Hollywood. A, a, a studio movie that got that like went out and got like a Wiccan consultant to make sure that they were doing Wiccanism correctly. It's amazing, and so um, I think for that reason, because it, it to me is doing, it has the sort of nuance of an art house movie, but is also it is hard to be a pulp a, like a it's hard to do something that feels like a pop culture phenomenon to do something that feels that big and has that sort of style to it because you you have to sort of lean into a sort of empty style when you're doing like pop culture so it's leaning into that sort of empty surface style of of, of the goth and the witches and the music and this and that but at the same time doing this like careful character work i'm i'm gonna go with the craft at the end of the day i think the craft is um i think the craft is like one of the great um uh like popular like pop movies of the 90s um and it was kind of like basically everything i was trying to say about the faculty last week is true about the craft um and in trying to make the argument uh about the faculty and sort of failing you know acknowledging that i failed in that argument i feel like a lot of what i was saying actually is very true about the craft um and so as good as the witch is um and this is very painful for me to say i'm gonna put the craft uh in in the canon Wow, there it is for the Forever Dog Plus fans. You can see. <laughs> you think that was Brett. a wild Randy? That was move? a wild Randy choice. Uh, Randy, Craft, Randy would have just gone straight ahead with the witch. Wild Randy, he he's going off. Uh, oh wow, look at this. We got more. We have a Finding Neverland meme now. We have Are You Randy and Johnny Depp saying I'm Wild Randy, uh, which is both hilarious and inappropriate. <laughs> um, guys. It's been a fun night. It's been a great app. It's been a great yeah. Halloween season. We got Wild Randy back. So the question is, am I going to pick the witch or am I going to pick the craft and send the craft to the cannon? And here's just the long and the short of it, folks. Guys, I'm unabashedly going to send the craft to the fucking cannon, Woo! baby. I'm going to send it in a fucking, woo, uh, woo, put woo, it in woo, a cannon woo, 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 and woo. fire it out straight into the cannon. Uh, the craft is the real deal. Save for Blade. Uh, I don't know if we've watched a better uh, 90s movie, maybe before Sunrise came out in the 90s and 
Yes, that's it. it. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's art house though. Come yeah, on. Besides that, um, but guys, this is this is what this is what you sign up for when you throw on a '90s movie. If they were all as good as the craft, then we'd call them fucking art house films. The craft, the, the, the craft is the truth. This is a mean, fun. Not sexy because they're in high school, but sex forward movie. And this movie has cool ladies. It's got scary witches. They're not here to play nice, to learn about themselves, to do anything other than get their way and f- use their powers um, against each other. They're hateful. They're mean. At the end, the two come <laughs> to essentially neg Sarah. And then she Zeus's them with lightning because they lost their powers. It's a nasty movie with cool ladies doing witchcraft. I'm sure it, it inspired every single everybody in the world is just like oh look there's the cool brooklyn chick who's witchy it's like yeah thanks to the craft all right so respect your elders this is the real deal um this movie is funny um it's uh scary it's cool the performances are great it's got teeth it deals with real stuff in real situations man oh man i love the craft i'm gonna kick the witch to the fucking trash can right, and where easy, it belongs easy. it's a great just movie. kidding it's an amazing movie please please watch it, it is excellent film uh, i had to take off the wild ranny mask because i've been informed uh in the chat that uh sandy's watching this live stream and uh, uh my wife amy <laughs> said that sandy started crying when i put on the wild randy mask <laughs> so sandy i love you it's dad it's dad it's not wild randy that's or your, randy that's your dad sandy it's just dad there he is with doesn't a very you, expensive doesn't that mask. make you feel better there he is. Don't worry. I'll start saving again for your college fund as soon as I pay off this wild Randy mask. You got to wear that for Halloween when people come to your house. I'm sorry, Sandy. I love you. All right. Well, folks, it's, it's been an incredible episode of Weekend at Bergman's, I say. And I'm excited for next week. Brett, we have one more uh, horror week or two or something. Tell me, what are we watching next week, friend? Oh, boy. That's a good question. Let's look it up. Well, it, we're watching The Island of Dr. Moreau. Is that? Oh, okay. So oh, next, and The Cabinet of Dr. Kelly. All right. So all this right, is what, what this, is. in a way, this is maybe for us what the month has been leading to. Um, so uh, next week. Next, next week's week, really what it all comes down next to, week, isn't it? Um, German expressionism. Next week, it is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari versus The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, and I think I think initially the connective thread was just the something of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just sounds good as an episode title. But no, it's about you know um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Svengali's, you know, sort of like um, uh, evil, sort of wizardy figures who are exerting control over other people and sort of wielding magic on them and making them do bad things. And Real Wanda that. types. Um, and so, uh, but. The thing that you have to understand going in, and we'll elaborate on this next week for all for any new listeners that join us. The Island of Doctor Moreau is Joe and I's favorite bad movie. Yes. It is it is everything that you want out of a. It, it is our ultimate. Yeah, so good, so it bad. Is it's the good. Best movie, movie uh, ever. We um, watched Marlon it together Br- for the first time uh, one time, um, yeah. and I think watched it immediately again. I think we watched it back to back. We the same watched night. it two nights in a row, um, or two oh, nights maybe, in a row. That's, no, that's it. Yeah, we have to have Alex um, on. We need to have our, our, our friend Alex on, uh, who also watched it with us. So this this is our our, our, our a, a a treasured movie uh, uh, among the uh, uh, among Forever Dog. This is one of our favorite movies. But we know we know that it's a my thinking is we know it's a bad movie, but it's so bad that we that it's good. It's good, uh, and it has a lot of weird things. But the question is, this is our that's not our rubric. Our rubric is what movie is better. Yeah. Um, and what movie do we like more, which movie is better, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, however we interpret that. So this is going to be a real test of 
do we is is there actually something there in the island of Dr. Moreau in that weird disaster? I mean, talk about disaster productions. Is there something in that disaster production that that works? Uh, or yes. is the classic German expressionist movie, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? I got three words for you guys. Today? Little pink boy. All right. We'll see you next week. Uh, Check us out on social media at Weekend Bergman's. Is that right? Yes, that's right. right. Uh, Weekend Bergman. Weekend Weekend Bergman. Bergman. Keep those conversations going over the Weekend of Bergman Discord. And we'll see you next week for the big showdown, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari versus the Island of Dr. Moreau. It's all Dr. Moreau. Bye. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm. Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.